This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everyone. Today is Friday, October 28th. Thank goodness it's Friday. You know, it's also Frankenstein Day. And uh, I'm a little sore about this because it's called Frankenstein Day, but shouldn't it be Frankenstein's Monster Day? I think a lot of people make that mistake, you know? They they call the monster Frankenstein, but that was actually the name of the doctor. But anyway, if you want to celebrate Frankenstein, I don't know, go watch one of the many, many, many Frankenstein movies that they've come out with over the years. Uh, it's also National Chocolate Day. Reed, I know you like chocolate. Uh, my favorite chocolate bar is either a Butterfinger or a Kit Kat bar. So maybe after the program, I'll get one of those and crack it open and break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. Uh, today is also Game 3 of the World Series. And as Terry mentioned a few days ago... We've got ticket prices going up as high as $3,000 and higher? Yes. Oh, my goodness. I heard on the radio, too, that bars are getting in on the action, too, as they're charging people hundreds of dollars just to get into the door of their bar. Wow. So even if you want to watch it on TV in a local establishment... Just stay home. Yeah, just stay home. And watch so, much, so much easier. The commute's better. It's great. Yeah. Just stay home. No parking. Oh, but a bar can make better nachos than I can. Mm. Anyway, all that fun stuff. Plus, we've got some a couple of great political clips that we definitely want to make sure to get to, including something that Trump said, uh, which you might find interesting, considering he's still trailing uh, in the polls by a little bit. But actually, allegedly, allegedly. You know, and maybe not as much as he was before, but... uh, Or appears to be. So Hillary may be calling this, but Trump also may be calling this in a different way. We'll get to all all of that fun stuff. But first, we want to make sure that uh, we get to the most fun material by tossing it over to Sadie Nielsen in the newsroom. Sadie, what's going on around the country? A jury in Oregon has acquitted the leaders of a standoff at the National Wildlife Refuge in January of 2016. Ammon Bundy and six co-defendants were charged with conspiring to impede federal employees during the standoff at the refuge. Four of the total seven defendants were charged with possessing guns in a federal facility. The standoff originated with the men seeking to have the federal land turned over to the state. Law enforcement arrested them in February after the standoff continued for a month. New polls of the swing states conducted by Quinnipiac University showed Hillary Clinton claiming leads in Virginia and North Carolina, but neck and neck with Donald Trump in Georgia and Iowa. In Georgia, the two candidates are locked in a statistical tie with the GOP nominee edging Clinton 44 percent to 43 percent. Donald Trump on Thursday suggested his support is so vigorous and his rivals so odious that the election should just be canceled and handed to him. I'm just thinking to myself right now, we should just cancel the election and just give it to Trump right, he said to a crowd in Toledo, Ohio. What are we even having it for? Her policies are so bad. The comments come as Trump trails Hillary Clinton both nationally and in a handful of key battleground states while also losing ground in traditionally red states like Arizona, Utah, and Texas. Polling averages, however, do show him leading 
by a mere 1% in Ohio, where he spoke Thursday. And finally, in、uh, my good home state of Arizona, we have a lovely story.、Mm. Um, a driver in Arizona stopped at a drive thru of a local fast food restaurant during a low speed police chase on Wednesday night. Phoenix police pursued a suspect as he stopped at an In N Out Burger location and appeared to order food. <laughs> he pulled through the drive thru and spent several minutes ordering before driving out and exiting the parking lot without being stopped by police. He then drove to a nearby neighborhood and walked into the backyard、uh, where he surrendered to officers. Wow. See, this, is, this just illustrates my point of how good In N Out Burger is. That even criminals. Well, suppose criminals are willing to stop for a couple minutes and take time to get really good burgers. Yeah. I just had In N Out last night and I saw the story and I thought I would share it because it does really prove In N Out is one of the best of the best. Oh, my goodness.、Oh, I would have loved to have heard the audio for that. <laughs> you know, him、yeah. taking, can I, can I get a minute to order here? I, I need to think about this. Yeah, maybe you could pull that for next week. <laughs> We could、uh, find that out. I'm sure that's a really good, really、oh, good audio. Good shakes, good fries, good burgers. It's a little polarizing, though. I, it seems like a lot of people, you, you either love In N Out Burger or you hate it. I don't know too <sighs> many. Do you know someone who hates In N Out Burger? Well, I think Matt and Terry are not big fans of In N Out Burger. Isn't that correct? Really, no opinion. Oh. Never eaten there. Don't See, really plan on it. You, okay, just so, put, you put a burger in front of Terry, he's going to eat it. I don't think he really cares where it's from. Don't really care. Same, same with、food. pizza, too. We were just talking about this yesterday. You know, even at times, a Little Caesars pizza will do. You know, it'll do in a pinch. Not that there's anything wrong with Little Caesars, but Sadie, thank you so much. And now I'm hungry. You're welcome. Oh, In N Out Burger. Wow. Well, Sadie did mention、uh, one of the clips that we do want to get to here. Usually, when you. When you request to call something, usually you're ahead when that happens. Like if you are undefeated in a, a game of ping pong, let's just say, and you're afraid you might lose the next game, you say, I'm retiring now as the undefeated champion of the world. But it's an interesting tactic when、uh, you're on the losing side of that. So why don't we play that? Allegedly. Allegedly, yes. Let's play that,、uh, that clip of Trump. Hillary Clinton wants to raise taxes on small businesses up to 45%. What a difference. You know, what a difference this is. And just thinking to myself right now, we should just cancel the election and just give it to Trump, right? What are we even having it for? What are we having it for? Her policies are so bad. Boy, do we have a big difference. The more you know.、Um, <laughs> <laughs> Except I think that's ABC. NBC is the more you know. Whichever. So, yeah, he makes that little sort of quip, as they called. When was the quip? That was during one of the debates when he called her a nasty woman. What, was it the, was、uh, it the nasty third woman? One? Or was it the second one? He said something in the second one. I think it was nasty woman, yeah. Was that the quip? The next morning they go, oh, that was a, oh, no, it was when he said he was going to、uh, put her in jail. Oh,、Remember、yeah. They said that was just a quip. And like, wow, he's known for his quips. Um, hmm. So he's, he kind of said that in passing where we should just end it right now. Just give me the election because this is ridiculous. She's going to raise taxes. No one's going to vote for that. You know, he brings up a good point, though, because that would actually save a lot of money by canceling the election. Yeah. Hillary he, apparently has $153 million in her,、uh, her war chest or whatever right now. So, 
She, I'm I'm thinking she may try to use quite a bit of that on media in the next few days. Which sure. If you're living in a battleground state, I'm sorry. Every commercial will be one after another after another of, of her talking about him and him talking about her. And your local people will try to squeeze one in every once in a while. But and it he's, gets bad. He's got 100 plus million in this, right? I don't know. Well, mm. he's saying he does. But his. I mean, uh, apparently in September... They're saying that he put zero dollars into the Republican National Committee's uh, bank account, I guess, from raising money. Or hmm. was it October? One of the last couple months, he didn't do much. Yeah. And that money goes to the get out the vote efforts that they're trying to do right now. Hasn't he always said that he's been so much more polite than Hillary in terms of the commercials that have been put out? Well, most of that's because she's – it was either like 10 to 1, 50 to 1. It just There's such a huge separation between how many commercials she has running versus right. how many commercials he has running. So that's why he can say that because she's running like probably 10 to 1 on negative ads. So in, in his eyes, he's a gentleman and Absolutely. He, yeah. Wow. Now, this is the, the – the, so he talks about we want to you know just shut this thing down, give it to me. It says, uh, a group of Republican activists, strategists, and operatives in 11 battleground states – Politicals Caucus Group, they're calling this, overwhelmingly believe that Donald Trump's support is being undercounted in the polls because people are embarrassed to admit that they are supporting the GOP nominee. <laughs> okay. says, I personally know many Republicans that won't admit that they are voting for Trump, one Virginia Republican said in the anonymous survey. I don't like admitting it myself. It won't matter if Hillary is up more than five points, but we might be in for a surprise if Hillary's lead is less than five points on Election Day. Mm. While 71% of uh, Politico's GOP insiders believe that there is a shy Trump effect in play, uh, 74% of Democrats say that the polls aren't undercounting Trump votes. Hmm. I don't know why that's really that relevant. I mean, Democrats aren't going to say that the Republican polls are accurate. Yeah. Are they? I don't know. Uh, it says there was no real evidence of shy Trump effect in the Republican primaries, according to uh, 538, who does some political statistical analysis. And many of Politico's insiders said that even if there were bashful Trump voters out there, it probably wouldn't tip the scale. 59% of GOP insiders say they think Clinton would win their state if the election was held right now. Wow. So there's a might be a shy Trump effect where sure. people are sort of embarrassed to talk about it publicly. But they're going to vote for Trump. And that's what the Trump campaign keeps talking about is they're being underrepresented in the yeah. polls. I can totally see that, too, because I've been in conversations with people before where it's just a bunch of Trump bashing. Oh, I can't vote. For, you know, Trump this, Trump that. And then you hear somebody say, yeah, I'd almost rather vote for Hillary than Trump. And those same people that were bashing Trump a second ago, their jaws drop and they're like, seriously? No. You'd vote for Hillary over Trump? <laughs> But yeah. that's kind of uh, what people are talking – when you hear them talk about like rigged polls or a rigged system or whatever, they're talking about that where their voice is being suppressed or people – the media has reported so much on Trump that people are kind of embarrassed to him, to support him. So that's why they're not being counted and standing up and having their voice heard. Sure. And apparently uh, Democrats are adamant that the election is not rigged. In right. fact, we have a clip of Michelle Obama talking about how the election is not rigged. So when you hear folks talking about a global conspiracy and saying that this election is rigged, understand that they are trying to get you to stay home. The voters decide our elections. They've always decided. Voters decide who wins and who loses, period, end of story. Bloomberg had a story yesterday about voter suppression from the Trump campaign. Mm -hmm. But they're putting out specific ads targeting specific groups of people to help keep them 
home. Don't vote because this is the problem, right? So if you don't like Trump, Hillary Clinton did this. And so you don't like both the candidates, you just won't vote for president. And so the Trump campaign won't lose your vote. They won't gain it, but it won't hurt them either. You know what I mean? So there are tactics like that, and they they quotes from the Trump campaign that they're doing this. It's not illegal to do it. It's just sort of, I guess you could say, unsightly. You you probably want to encourage people to vote more than discourage them. But at this point, they're trying to do what they can to mitigate some of the, the weaknesses that they have in their message, I guess. Yeah, and just another example of playing on people's fears. It seems like fear has played a huge part in this campaign. But in the same respect, you have Hillary Clinton out there talking about how bad Trump is and trying to keep her base and her voters coming her way and trying to, you know, anyone that's undecided make a case of why he's the worst candidate and you need to vote for me. So they're both sure. kind of doing it. It's just the Trump campaign came out and detailed how they're doing it, which seems kind of odd. Have we seen any other election with the types of tactics that we've seen in this one? Probably not as not on, the, the... on the surface, hmm. you could say. They probably do it, but not like they don't broadcast it as much as these two have, Yeah, which is odd. Other news from yesterday, Mike, P- Mike Pence was landing at LaGuardia. His airplane skidded off the runway. It was wet. Nobody hurt, but, you know. Because he had media on the plane, they turned on their phones and started broadcasting and all you know pictures sure. taken. And so there, it was quick to, to get back. There's uh, Trump and, and Hillary Clinton don't have media following them everywhere they go. So if something right. happened to them, it would be a couple hours before, before we found out. And that's some of the media's concern is like we're supposed to report on this. Every other candidate, the president has a core of media that follow him around, yeah. and these two don't have that. They have people on their plane, but they don't have people like in the motorcade and following with them. I can only imagine the things that would come out of Trump's mouth had it been him yeah. that, that skidded off the Absolutely. runway. <laughs> also, President P- uh, Putin in Russia, he praised Trump for representing the common people, but denied any efforts to manipulate the election. He goes, is the U.S. a banana republic? Or are they just some sort of... Third world country that we can just go in and manipulate? No, they're a huge, you know, there's so many different parts. There's no way we can manipulate that election. Hmm. I didn't see if he winked after he said that, but. And then, of course, my, my story with the uh, guys at the National Wildlife Refuge in Oregon back in January that walk in with guns and it's an armed occupation of a federal facility. But, you know, that's cool. We'll just acquit them of all charges. Right. <laughs> Off mm. they go. And so if you did that, say, in Ferguson or Baltimore, you'd probably get shot. Right. But you did it in Oregon in the sticks. That's fine. You can do it in <laughs> Vegas, apparently west of Vegas, if you want to have a standoff with the federal government. That's fine, too. Oh, my goodness. As, as charges have yet to really stick on any of these guys who brought in, like, militia backup to uh, – Stand off with federal authorities, but that's fine. Don't worry about that. They live streamed it too. I sat here on the show when Matt's doing the show back in January. I watched the standoff on YouTube. It was awesome. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> so it's not like there's evidence they could say, hey, you did this, but that's fine. They were they were acquitted. So the, <sighs> the Bundy clan will uh, live to uh, write again, apparently. <laughs> nice. Well, 11 more days. 11 more days until things are said and done and and we can move on with our lives and and start having different conversations uh conversations about perhaps what are things that we can do to improve our economic uh, situation and in fact our very next guest Stephen pressman is going to be talking to us about the most important economic challenge facing 
the next president. So we'll get to that when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Matt while he's away in beautiful Costa Rica. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Well, we teased it before we went to the break, but uh, immigration, the war on terror, trade, abortion, the economy, health care, criminal justice, and education, those are all real issues our country is facing. And with only 11 days left until Election Day, it seems focus has shifted to the moral failings of both candidates and taken away from real issues. Here to talk with us today about what he believes to be the most important issue in equality is Stephen Pressman, who is a professor of economics at Colorado State University. And we have him here now on the program. Professor Pressman, thank you so much for being on the program with us this morning. Thank you for inviting me. So this has been quite an interesting election, to say the least. And, you know, there are plenty of things that that you would think would be on a to-do list of a president, of an incoming president. And, you know, Trump has obviously spent a lot of time talking about building a wall and and more recently, whether it was in jest or not, uh, you know, his first action in the White House is going to be to put Hillary Clinton behind bars. But uh, what are what are some of the first things you think either one of these candidates should have on their to-do list if they're elected? Uh, that's a very good question. And given the uh, loss of uh, incomes uh, and the loss of jobs and the bifurcation of incomes over the past 20 or 30 years, doing something to help average American citizens, the middle class, is probably the most important thing for the next president to do. And there are a lot of relatively simple things that would help a great deal. Uh, Three things at the top of my list would be raising the minimum wage. Um, Second, um, the United States is the only developed country in the world and one of the very few countries in the world that don't have a program of paid parental leave, which makes it very hard for um, families uh, to uh, actually maintain a standard of living around the birth of a child. And then the third thing I would put on my list is a policy which, again, exists throughout most of the rest of the world called family or child allowances, where uh, each family gets a certain uh, sum of money from the government for each child that they have. Hmm, Interesting. You know, we actually had a guest on the program the other day, and we were talking about parental leave. In, In your eyes, what... What would a successful program like that look like compared to what it is now, for instance? Well, now there's there's really no program nationwide. There are two states, um, California and New Jersey, that have paid parental leave programs that they run through the state unemployment insurance program. And so everybody in the state kicks in a little bit of money and then uh, uh People who are working, who um, are eligible for the paid leave, they get uh, somewhere around eight weeks off of paid leave um, around the birth of a child. 
Right. Okay. Now, same question, but with that that third item that you mentioned, the uh, the family the the child allowances. What what would a successful program look like? Um, a successful program would look like giving a fixed sum of money, somewhere around a thousand, two thousand dollars, to every household in the country based on the number of children uh, in the household. Okay, and then. And it, that would be yeah that would be relatively simple and easy to do it could be done through the tax system um and the the benefits um to the nation and the benefits to households that are just struggling to get by would be enormous yeah and that that first thing that you mentioned wage i want to get back to here in a minute but uh, in in this study that uh, that you did, you, you looked at nine countries. You said and, and studied the gap between the richest and the poorest countries. So what what did you find in your study? Um, well, the the main thing that I found in my study was that if you look at countries before there's any government action at all, um, if you look at what economists call market income, the market that uh, the income that people make from working and from earning some interest on their savings and things of that sort. Um, countries around the world actually look relatively similar. Um, there is a great deal of inequality from country to country to country to country. It varies a little, but it doesn't vary a lot. Once you take into effect the taxes that the government takes out of people's pay and the various forms of benefits that they get, things like family or child allowances, things like paid parental leave, things like a fairly generous unemployment insurance program, things like a fairly generous uh, social security retirement package. Um, The countries look enormously different. And the countries that generally do the most are the countries that have the biggest uh, middle class, and those tend to be the Nordic countries. Uh, the countries that do the, the second best are the continental European countries, and typically the countries that do the worst are the Anglo-Saxon countries, the United States, the UK, Australia, and Canada. Interesting. Wow. So uh, I know that uh, in your article, obviously, you talk about how how inequality is obviously bad for the economy, but why else would you say that inequality is a threat? Um, I, I think inequality is a threat for three main reasons. One is the economic reasons. Um, it's bad for lots of households that are just struggling, and it's bad for the overall economy because if the middle class is losing out on income, and they have less to spend, that hurts the whole economy. Second, there's the political issue. And the political issue is, uh, uh, can an economy and a, and a nation function if so much income is going to the very rich that they have a great deal of influence on the policies that a country winds up putting into effect? And um, when that's the case, then you have lots of people who are really angry. Um, and that's just not good for the continuation of a country. And third, um, and and this really isn't isn't the least important. This may be among the first important. There are lots of social consequences of great inequality. And the person who's documented this the most and the best is a British epidemiologist by the name of Richard Wilkinson. And he wrote a book uh, several years ago called The Spirit Level. 
and he started talking about what are the health consequences of inequality. And what he found was you can go through country by country by country by country and even state by state by state by state within one country. And what he found is that lots of main health indicators um, uh, are uh, better uh, when there's less inequality. And so people tend to live longer in countries where income inequality is not so great. Obesity rates tend to be much lower in countries where income is distributed more equally. Um, so there are health issues, and there are also uh, various other sorts of social issues like the impact of inequality on crime, uh, the income in, on income inequality on drug addiction, on alcoholism. You could just go on and on and on and on. And these are the things that just tear apart the fabric of society. That is just so interesting. You know, obviously, you you wouldn't think that there would be consequences for our health, or at least that wouldn't be at the forefront of our minds when we're thinking about uh, the consequences of, of inequality. Um, so, uh, Professor uh, Pressman, in your in your article, you talk about uh, the four four things that could be on a president's to do list: addressing productivity growth, rising inequality, employment, and sustainable economic growth. And you also mentioned that inequality is the only item on that list that a president can influence in a significant way. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Uh, sure. Uh, let, me, let me just talk about productivity growth first, because that's the easiest one. And it's the easiest one mainly because economists have no clue about what causes inequality to go up and down. And so to say that we can have a president who comes into office and magically that's going to increase and improve productivity, which then in turn would improve the standard of living of Americans on average is, is ludicrous. You, we just can't do it. Economists don't even know what sorts of policies somebody might be able to put into place, assuming it could be done politically to improve uh, the productivity of, the, of, of workers and the standard of living of the nation. So that's, that's just something that can't be done. Um, job growth is difficult because so much is out of control of the president. Partly it's politics and partly it's the Federal Reserve or the Central Bank of the United States. So there's very little that the president can do in that respect on his own or her own. The thing that the president can start to do is make some small changes out of executive decisions that would help improve uh, income inequality in the United States. And just simple things like saying, okay, if you're a firm and the firm gets a government contract, you have to pay your workers at least a certain amount, or you have to have a certain ratio of CEO pay to average pay of workers, or you have to provide um, a certain uh, benefit uh, in terms of parental leave to your employees. If you don't do that, then you don't get a government contract. And that the president can do by an executive order Whereas lots of the other things, for example, um, family or child allowances would require a Congress who passes some of the things that the president wants. So at least in the case of inequality, the president can do some things and start the economy moving in a certain direction. Okay. Is there anything else that 
that the, the next president could do? I know um, you talk in your article about about wages. What, as far as minimum wage, what's something that could be done there? Well, there's there there are things on ballots all over the country on a state by state basis about you know, raising the minimum wage significantly above the 725. Uh, that's the national minimum wage. Um, there's a ballot uh, in New Jersey, in um, in Colorado, uh, which is to raise the minimum wage. I think it's twelve dollars an hour. That's a significant increase. That's something that will help lots of households in the state of Colorado. And uh, so, if that's going to you know, be put into effect on a on a statewide level, that helps people in one state but it doesn't help everybody. And to help everybody, it needs to be a national policy. So Congress is going to wind up having to pass an increase in the minimum wage, and then the president is going to need to sign it. And just to push the minimum wage up to the level that it was in terms of the standard of living that it provided in the late 1960s, early 1970s, it would need to go up nationwide to something over $10 an hour. Right, right. So I want to continue this discussion of wage uh, when we come back. We'll take a quick break. We're speaking with Professor Stephen Pressman, and uh, he's educating us more about why inequality is the major economic problem that we're dealing with right now and, and something that the the next president will need to deal with as well. So we will take a quick break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, uh, helping you live more informed lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Program. Uh, We are speaking with Stephen Pressman, who is a professor of economics at Colorado State University and emeritus professor of economics and finance at Monmouth University. In addition, he serves as uh, North American editor of the Review of Political Economy and as associate editor of the Eastern Economic Journal. His main research areas are poverty and income distribution, uh, post-Keynesian macroeconomics, and the history of economic thought. And we are so grateful to have him back here on the program. Professor Pressman, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you again for having me. So before we went to break, we, we started talking more about wage. And you had mentioned that the uh, the current minimum wage is, is $7.25. Um, do, you, do you think... Um, you mentioned you talked a little bit about this that it's it's really not enough uh, to keep up the standard of living seven dollars and twenty five cents. Should it be should should minimum wage jobs be careers? Um, they shouldn't be careers, but sometimes they are careers, and you have a lot of people who have not a lot of job skills. You have a lot of jobs in the economy that are low-skilled jobs, and you have firms that are able to pay these workers very little. And the net result is that firms that are competing against other similar firms are going to want to pay their workers as little as possible. And the firm gains, but 
the the society, the nation, and the economy as a whole loses um, if one firm winds up paying its workers less. Um, other firms are going to be at a competitive advantage, and they're going to be driven out of business. If everybody is forced to pay higher wages to their workers with little or low skills and no bargaining power, um, everybody's going to have more income, everybody's going to be out spending more money, and all of the firms are going to gain. So instead of just affecting, you know, one example that comes up quite frequently is, you know, fast food employees. So instead of their... uh, pay going up, you're saying that everybody's pay should really go up then? Well, I think fast food employees pay, and that's where a lot of the minimum wage uh, gets paid, should go up. And if it goes up, the net result is likely to be a very small, tiny increase in prices uh, of fast food restaurants. But there's also going to be a benefit for the fast food restaurants, which results from the fact that minimum wages go up also means wages a little bit above minimum wage are going to go up also because there needs to be some relative differential. And with a lot of low-income people having more income, besides making their lives easier, there's also going to be a positive economic effect. These people are going to be spending all the extra money. And so the businesses that have to pay higher wages on the one hand also are going to have more business on the other hand. So now um, we did talk – I did ask you the question about whether minimum wage jobs should be careers. Let's say – you know, I know that uh, in some parts of the country, McDonald's workers, for instance, have uh, advocated for – excuse me – the $15 an hour wage, Mm -hmm. um, which brings up a a pretty big argument because there are other occupations out there, you know, like EMTs who are are getting similar pay but might uh, be a little more skilled and and their jobs are are saving lives. Um, Are we doing a disservice to employees like fast food employees by raising the wage enough to where they would have a, a better standard of living to where those employees might just feel just fine getting by on that alone and and not to, in other words, are we doing a disservice to them by not encouraging them to get more education or or upping their skills? Uh, I think that there's no disservice in that sense. The the pay differentials are going to are going to pretty much remain the same even at 10 or 12 or 15 dollars an hour. That's a relatively low income on an annual basis. And if people do want to better themselves, then there's still the incentive to go on and get the education. What this does is it at least provides a a semi-decent standard of living for individuals who are trying to struggle to get by and don't have the skills. Um, If we uh, think about, okay, moving people from these low dead-end jobs to other jobs uh, a much better way to go about doing that would be to think about some education and job training programs, which is, again, another thing that the United States doesn't have that countries elsewhere uh, do have, and that makes a big difference in people's standard of living and their income. Right. Thank you for that. Um, so, obviously, you've you've talked a bit, a bit about how dealing with inequality is something that is uh, in within the president's control, 
what what else needs to be improved but might be beyond the president's control um lots of things are are sort of at the control of state and local governments which are pretty much totally beyond the president's control um i think everybody recognizes that the us education system is doing pretty badly and that's all run locally and so the president just has no power to affect states and what states are doing in that regard uh, that's totally beyond the president's control you did mention earlier too how it's difficult for the president to you know increase the number of good jobs is is there anything that that the next president could do to help that though it's it's hard to improve the the it's hard for first of all to just improve the number of jobs that's somewhat out of the president's control um but the things that are normally in the president's control are things like okay we're we're going to engage in a massive infrastructure repair program um that's something everybody recognizes needs to be done um bridges and roads are falling apart they need to be repaired um there needs to be a new tunnel built underneath the Hudson River between New York and New Jersey uh that's a very old tunnel it's leaking it's making commutes increasingly impossible so a lot of money could be spent on that um those will provide reasonably good jobs uh but those are jobs that are um not quite the same as the jobs that might come from for example pushing more students that graduate from high school to go on to college get more education and then wind up getting a higher skilled higher paying uh sort of job and it's hard to you know know what a president could do to get people to move from high school to uh college some of that is just what takes place at the high school level um the little that the president could do is figure out ways to make a college education a little bit more affordable uh providing more incentives for high school graduates to go on to college right right i i want to get back a little bit back to this uh the study that you conducted um for the nine countries so you found that we have the smallest middle class of the the countries that you studied do you think, because you mentioned earlier that there probably needs to be something done about uh, an example you gave was parental leave when when they have a child, or um, mm-hmm. do you think stress on workers has has anything to do with with us having the smallest middle class? Um, I, I think that stress on workers probably is the reason that. Um, for example the US has the worst health outcomes of every country uh, of those nine um it's the inequality that creates stress i don't think that the stress causes the small size of the middle class i think that the small size of the middle class is what's creating the stress it's people are realizing that i can't maintain the same standard of living my kids are not going to have the same standard of living and um i've either got to make it or um i'm going to wind up doing really badly and my kids are going to do badly and that's pretty stressful right right and you know another thing that uh, that i'm seeing here on your study is that compared to these other countries people in the united states just do not have as many vacation days as citizens in other in other countries do mm-hmm. you think 
Do you think increasing the number of paid vacation days would, would help? I think increasing the number of paid vacation days would help a little. In fact, more than, than, uh, than really vacation. Um, a lot of the stress that parents have is that there are two parents and both of them work. And now what happens when one of your kids is sick? And now you have to go to work, and if you don't make it to work, you risk losing your job. Right. And on the other hand, you've got a kid that you need to take care of that's home and is sick. And so if you can take a paid vacation day or a paid day to stay home and take care of your kid and not risk losing your job, that would be an enormous benefit to millions of families, and it would be a factor contributing to reduced stress. Well, Professor Pressman, we really appreciate having you on the program. Uh, there's one other thing I want to ask you before before we leave. You've obviously given us some great insights on uh, on this serious issue. I'm just curious to know if you could have a, a sit down with either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, one of whom is going to obviously be the next president. What would you say, just in summary, as we wrap up the interview here, what would you like to tell them about this issue and what they could do right when they get in, into office? Well, I would say, number one, that the issue is the most important issue that that the country is facing. You have to do something to end the inequality problem and prop up the middle class. And the second thing I would say is there are lots of things that you can do, and they're easy to do, and it's not difficult. Other countries throughout the world do these things. Um, All you have to do is take a look at what other countries do and mimic some of them. And um, if, if the country has the political will to do it, we can do it. And I'm sorry, that just brings up one more question. Do you think, why isn't that happening already? Why, why are we not taking as, as a, a close look at these other countries and saying, you know what, this is working here, let's adopt some of these principles? Or is that happening? Uh, it's, it's not happening because, uh, as, as you can see from the presidential uh, election that's going on now, We've got a, an extremely dysfunctional political system in the country. Um, we've got two parties that are at war with each other. We've got one party that says that it's not even going to vote on and approve a uh, Supreme Court nomination uh, of the president uh, if it's going to be the president of the other party. Um, we're supposed to have a Supreme Court. Uh, it's the role of Congress to approve uh, members uh, to serve on the Supreme Court if they're qualified. And we've got one party that says, no, we're not going to do that. Um, that makes it really hard to get anything done. And uh, anybody who's read the papers and anybody who's followed the election over the past year or so can get a sense that the country is really dysfunctional. And that's that's the tough nut to crack. And that's why you know, when when I started writing this article, I was thinking about what was it that the president could do, even with opposition from the other party. And there are, unfortunately, not a lot of things that the next president could do, but there are at least some. There are powers that the executive has in terms of paying paying employees of firms that the government hires to do work for the government that can do and will do a little bit of help. The harder thing is to get both parties to sit down and say, okay, we need to do something to help the average American citizen. What can we do? How can we sit together and figure out how to help the country move forward? 
Well, Professor Pressman, thank you so much for your time and your insight and uh, your research. Very interesting and important topic. We have been speaking with Stephen Pressman, who is a professor of economics at Colorado State University and emeritus professor of economics and finance at Monmouth University. We really appreciate him taking the time this morning to, to educate us more on this important issue. We will take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live healthier, happier, and hopefully more informed lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. And uh, if you're just joining us, we finished, we just wrapped up an interview with Professor Stephen Pressman, who talked to us about inequality. And gosh, wouldn't it wouldn't it be nice if somebody from Trump's or uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign was listening because he shared with us what should be on their to do list when, once they get in office. So hopefully, in an ideal world, one of them would have been listening. But uh, I guess we'll never know. Or maybe we will when we, when they get into office. Terry, what's what's another story you want to share with us as we wrap up the, the speaking, first hour? Speaking of an ideal world, what are your feelings about flying cars? I do not think it's a good idea. Really? Yes. Okay. Um, if you ever look in the, like the 50s and 60s when people are looking like, what's the future going to be like? And there's always flying cars. Every single, it's flying cars. The one, th- the one thread through them all, they'll have like wonderful little, like you know, appliances and things that'll make our lives better. But all of them have flying cars. Right. Everybody wants a flying car. Sure. I wouldn't mind a flying car. Just me though. Everyone else has to stay on the ground. Then I can get to where I need to go. You're out of my way. <laughs> but that'll never happen. Suggest so you, okay? Uber, right? The Uber company, the ride sharing, which. I never really understood that because people like made that their career. So are you really sharing rides at that point or are you just a taxi cab that isn't a taxi? Okay. That's a great point. So Uber has released a detailed white paper, 99 pages long, outlining the virtues of and current blocking factors of what it's called on-demand aviation hmm. or a network of small, as they call vertical takeoff and landing or VTOL, V-T-O-L, vertical takeoff and landing. Um, the craft that would make it possible for users to summon a flying transport whenever they want to easily get around when in in a community within uh, cities, basically. So no, no not, not like cross country, but in this case, the uh, chief product officer of Uber put out a uh, a post on the website Medium where he outlines a dream scenario of uh, Marina San Francisco to San Jose commute of just fifteen minutes, which wow. apparently is a huge improvement on the nearly two hour trip that you sometimes have to take in the Bay Area. So any projections on what that might cost? No, they're not looking at cost. <laughs> they're just spitballing here. Let's he, not. He, the he numbers ar- aren't important. He argues that the vertical takeoff and landing for uh, tips like this one would actually be, or trips like this would be affordable for use by many people every day and undercut even the cost of owning a car. Wow. He believes it'll be uh, made possible by high production volume manufacturing, which will reduce cost over time since while technology included in today's types of those types of vehicles is actually similar to the that included in a car so it's not really that much of a difference apparently so except he's probably thinking of like a bmw mercedes sure it's a flying vehicle they're expensive come on my big concern though is traffic in the air i mean traffic is bad enough on the ground Mm -hmm. just imagine that in the air and then would we have to hire 
a million traf- air traffic controllers to no, help. It's no, it's all automated. Oh boy, the computers so, do it for you. So we would need we wouldn't need just flying cars. We would need automatic flying car. We need autopilot flying cars. Yeah. So you'd mix the, the current <laughs> autopilot that exists in passenger airlines with the technology they're putting into cars for the automated driving, and it's perfect. Wow. And again, there'd be one. I would drive it. I would fly in it. Everyone else drives on the freeway. I get to work in 10 minutes. So in an ideal world, we would either live uh, in the movie Back to the Future 2, an episode of The Jetsons, or in an ideal world, Terry South would be the only I fly, driver in the air. You drive. Perfect. Everyone's happy. Sounds fair to me. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. We'll take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we will continue the fun here on the Matt Townsend Show, where we help you to live healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Program. This is the second hour, and we are still Dr. Mattless. But for those of you out there who, who miss Dr. Matt, and who doesn't really, he will be back Monday He's been out this week in Costa Rica, so he deserves a break. And, uh, you know, speaking of breaks, I think I deserve a break of a Kit Kat bar. And I think I'm going to take that break today because today is National Chocolate Day. No better way to celebrate Halloween's approaching than with a piece of chocolate. But just in case you need another excuse to try your favorite treat, approximately 600 million pounds of candy are sold in the U.S. each year for Halloween, with 90 million pounds of that being chocolate sold just uh, just during the week immediately preceding Halloween. Americans spend $1.9 billion on Halloween candy each year. Is that money well spent? I would think that dentists would agree that that is money well spent. Keeps them in business. Yes. Today is also Frankenstein Day. It's pronounced Frankenstein. Oh, pardon me. Frankenstein. Today is Frankenstein Day. Is that, is that a regional distinction or? No, I think that, that is the, if you go on dictionary.com and type it in, that's. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, of course not. That was Gene Wilder from Young Frankenstein. Another. Stein. Oh, yeah, Frankenstein, sorry. You Young Frankenstein, another great movie about the uh, the great doctor's creation, mm. not the monster itself, who's not named Frankenstein. There is that uh, people make that mistake all the time. It's also game three of the World Series between the uh, Cleveland Indians and the Chicago Cubs, who are tied one game to one tonight, and the ticket prices are set at a reasonable $3,000. Some are 4000 It depends. Depends where you sit. And follow Terry's advice. Great advice. My seat was paid four years ago when I bought my couch, (laughs) so I'm good. (laughs) I'll just sit there and watch. So you don't even have to pay two to $300 just to get into a bar to watch it on TV. There's like a monthly payment for the the cable service and all that. But yeah, it's fine. Got to watch it in HD. So I know you don't... I don't think you follow baseball as much as you do some of the other sports like football, but if you had to choose one of the two teams to win, who would you choose? Who's going to be ruined the most? 
I mean, Cleveland has been quite a while since they won, but they won their basketball title last seat for yeah. you know, the last NBA season. So, you know, maybe Chicago. I think it's a better story if they lose. Because if they win, then, I mean, the whole lovable loser thing's gone. So, yeah, let them lose. You know, that is the same thing that uh, Spencer and Jerem said the other day. I think that's the the better storyline is if they lose. The great thing about this series is that, you know, both teams, it's been so long since either team has won that it really, either way, it's great Hmm. that one of these teams has won. And it's, you know, for the Cleveland Indians, I think it's been... You know, since the 40s was the last time they won, and then the Cubs, it's been over 100 years. But it is interesting. Like, the entire playoffs are on cable. Yeah. Right? So most people didn't even watch most of these games. And so now it comes down to the World Series. I don't know what the numbers are for for ratings, but I know baseball's been slipping over the last few years. Turning to more of a regional-type sport rather than a national attention grabbing type event. So we'll but see what happens. They do have they do have it going for them that neither team has won for a long time. But yeah, yep. we'll see what happens. Go Indians. Go Indians. That was Reed. He wants the Indians to win. So all of that fun stuff we'll be talking a little bit more about throughout the program today. But right now, why don't we toss things over to Sadie Nielsen, who's got a test coming up here in a little bit and uh, is yawning as we speak. So forgive her if she yawns throughout some of the news she's going to share with you right now. Sadie, what's going on throughout the country? While landing in stormy weather Thursday night in New York City, Mike Pence's airplane skidded off the runway at LaGuardia Airport and came to a stop at the perimeter fence. None of the 37 people on board, including members of Pence's staff, the press, and his wife and daughter Charlotte, were injured. Russia President Vladimir Putin shrugged off accusations that his country is meddling in the U.S. election, asking, does anyone really think that Russia can influence the choice of American people in any way? Is America some sort of banana republic? America is a great power. Please correct me if I'm wrong, Putin said during remarks at a gathering of world policy experts. While Putin would not say if he would prefer to see Clinton or Donald Trump in the White House, he had good things to say about the Republican nominee's strategy. Trump has chosen his own way of reaching the hearts of voters, he said. He is representing the common people, and he is acting like a common guy himself. Joe Biden is at the top of the internal shortlist for Hillary Clinton's transition team, and they are preparing for her pick to be Secretary of State, a source familiar with planning tells Politico. This would be the first major cabinet candidate to go public for a campaign that's insisted its focus remains on winning the election, and perhaps the most central choice for a potential president who was a Secretary of State herself. And finally... Um, we have a, another Halloween story here. Ooh. Um, a Washington state mother filming her children's pumpkin carving exploits captured the moment when her teen daughter Rachel's head ended up stuck inside her pumpkin. <gasps> it was really hilarious, actually. <sighs> the family shares a laugh, which only becomes more rambunctious when Rachel discovers the pumpkin is stuck. Go tell dad that Rachel has her head stuck in a pumpkin. Hurry, hurry. Uh, they, so one of her children, Jason, 14, uh, struggles to help his sister get out of the gourd. The father arrives soon and suggests calling the fire department, a suggestion that mortifies Rachel. No, that would be so horrible, she says from inside the pumpkin. Uh, they said they were able to free her daughter moments after the video ended by reaching in and releasing her ponytail. Wow. Can you imagine? I mean, they, they entertain the idea of, of calling the fire department. Could you imagine driving that girl to the emergency room and just seeing somebody in there in the waiting room with a pumpkin on their head? Oh, it's it's got to be good. You know, we did a story a couple months ago. 
I can't remember if you were here for not, but uh, do you remember about the Barney head getting stuck? No. <laughs> there was a girl who got a uh, a Barney costume head stuck on her head. She had to go to the fire department. They had to cut it open because it was so tight, I guess, or her head was big or something that they had to cut it off. So I'm sure oh. a pumpkin pumpkin is a little more festive, you know, yeah. for this time of the year. And that could present problems in, in the emergency room because you wouldn't know if it was a person in their Halloween costume or if they really had a pumpkin stuck on their head. Yeah. You just don't know what to do. Oh, my the struggle goodness. is real. What, by the way, what are you going to be for Halloween? Are you guys dressing up? Oh, I didn't tell you? No. So I told Terry and Reed, but I don't normally dress in a yellow Hawaiian shirt and brown tie. Yeah. So uh, today there's going to be a little office party where you can bring your kids and do a little trick-or-treating. Oh, so this the is boo bash. Yes. Yes. This is only half of my ensemble. Okay. So uh, if just, okay, why don't you guess? Uh, imagine me with fox ears and a fox tail. And who am I? Uh, Mr. Fox? No, from from the fantastic Mr. Fox? Is that what you mean? Yeah. No, but that was the same thing that Reed guessed. Zootopia. Nick Wilde. Oh! Yes. Genius. Genius. Well, apparently it wasn't because I have to explain it to well, everybody. Well, uh, now I can picture it in my head. I can see it now. <laughs> I see the yellow shirt. I see the tie. I can picture... Yes, that's the, I got it. That's the same reaction I get when I tell people I do voiceovers. After I tell them I do voiceovers, they're like, oh, yeah, I can hear that in your voice. Sure. Yeah. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I caught you. I caught you. I mean, I won't admit that I didn't think that when I first saw you. And I was like, it's just amazing that, you know, you can change your voice and you sound like so many different people. And here you are. (sighs) You're just Jeff, though. But you're amazing. All right. You're forgiven. Thank you. Sadie, thank you so much. Good luck on your test and get some sleep. I will. Absolutely. Oh, wow. And have a good weekend. We love you here and uh, we value you. So do well on that test. All right. Well, lesson learned. Do not stick your head in a pumpkin or else you may be spending Halloween night in the emergency room. But the nice thing is after a while it would fall off, you know, like... It would just uh, eventually decay, and then you wouldn't, you know, it's not like a permanent issue. You know, that is a great way to look on the positive side of things, you know? Uh, <laughs> eventually it'll rot out, and you can just, just peel it off. Yep. There you go. Anyway, fun stuff. You know, speaking of fun stuff, we've got another just odd, odd story. I I don't even think there's any explanation for this. I have one idea, though, or at least one suggestion that that might help out. Three elderly people were seen off-roading across farmland in central England, luring cattle behind them with carrots. Right. One woman was sitting in the boot, dangling out of the back of the car. They were literally off-roading in a compact car, and the trunk was open with this wom- when this woman sat in there laughing and holding carrots out for the cows. But the cows chased as the car drove over the grass. The man driving and the woman in the passenger seat all looked like they were in their 60s and were all laughing. The cows looked distressed, too, as they were swinging their heads around and running right by the car. It's really dangerous. One man said. Mm. 
Those poor cows. So why on earth, you're in your 60s, why on earth are you dangling carrots from the back of your car, teasing these poor cows who are running after them just trying to eat? What is the thinking behind that? They're bored. They're bored. So I have a th- it, it sounds like something a teenager would do. Right. Right. Just and antagonize la- the cow. They're laughing like teenagers. Huh. Um, so I have a theory about this. Maybe some people should just not retire. So retirement is just not for everyone, it sounds like. Yeah. You end up with free time. You end up, you know, feasting cows. You don't know Causing what stampedes. to do with it. Yeah. Hmm. So instead of cow tipping, it's cow carroting. I, I guess. It was such an odd story. <laughs> wow. What? Any other odd stories or anything else we ought to know about, Terry? Taco Bell. Oh, I like it already. Introducing a new food product, allegedly. They uh, had their Doritos-flavored tacos, you know, the taco shell with the oh, different yeah. flavors. They've also put cap and Crunch in their desserts, because it needs to be crunchy and rip the roof of your mouth up, apparently, because that's what people <laughs> say that Cap'n Crunch does. Now they're adding Kit Kats to their quesadillas. Really? They're calling it a chocodilla, which I think is already a product, mm. but uh, they're calling it that anyways. So uh, let's see here. Give me a, so take out the cheese, salsa, all that stuff, and you just put chocolate inside the tortilla. So it's a it's a it's a dessert quesadilla, a dessert taco. Yeah, you don't have the mixture of cheese and chocolate or hot sauce and chocolate. So you have melted chocolate chips instead of. Um, of cheese and meats. Essentially, Taco Bell just replaced chocolate chips with Kit Kat bars. Nailed it! <laughs> Again, this is another great example of of an establishment that ought to maybe work on fixing the food that they currently have instead of branching out. I've heard that before. <laughs> that my, maybe the Taco Bell isn't quite up to the standard they should be, but man, they have, you know, chocolate inside. They have a Kit Kat bar melted in a tortilla. You know, in Taco Bell's defense, I do like the, uh, what is it called? The the double-decker taco. Mm. The taco that's wrapped inside a, a bean burrito or like a, a, it's a flour tortilla that's coated with beans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good stuff. So unfortunately... Here's the bad news. The majority of countries around the world will have to travel far for a taste of this absurd quesadilla. Mm. It's only available for a limited time in the UK. (sighs) Worth the trip? There's no clarification if it will ever be available in the United States. Man. Well, I do like Kit Kats, so I would at least try that. I think I would. It is Halloween. Right? Yes. You can go to the grocery store and buy some tortillas. That's right. You will probably gather some Kit Kats if you do go trick-or-treating with a kid or yourself, if you're so inclined to. Okay, I'm with you so far. You just make your own. What? Just toss a tortilla in a pan, put some Kit Kats in there, fold it over, wait a few minutes, and you have your own ready to go. But why would I do that when I can travel to Europe and pay $2.50 to have somebody else do it? Well, plus the airfare, <laughs> plus the accommodations. Okay, that's it, a good it point. It gets a bit over the, over the top for a little chocolate-covered tortilla. So make it yourself. Go All ahead. right. Well, this Halloween, make your own uh, case of Kit Kat. What are they calling them again? Chocodilla. Chocodilla. All right. Well, see, this is the type of information you're only going to get on the Matt Townsend Show. Nowhere else could you learn that you could make your own Chocodilla. 
with Kit Kats and flour tortillas, and maybe even branch out a little, try it with corn tortillas. That might even be tastier. Anyway, just some ideas as we approach the Halloween holiday. Halloween holiday. And speaking of Halloween, when we come back, we will be speaking with a professor from BYU who is going to talk to us a little bit more about why we enjoy watching scary movies. Do you watch them? And uh, if so, why do you do it? We'll talk more about that when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live happier, healthier, and hopefully scarier lives this season. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt while he's away in beautiful Costa Rica. We wish him safe travels, and uh, we want him to have a good time, but maybe not too much fun. We want him to have some perspective, but uh, we just want him to come back safely. That's the most important thing. Well, as you know, Halloween is upon us, and there's plenty to do to celebrate, from corn mazes to carving pumpkins to trick-or-treating and everything in between. You are almost guaranteed to find something you will love. Another tradition is watching scary movies. Some people love the chills and thrills of sitting home in the dark and watching their favorite Halloween horror film. And research is shedding some light on the psychology of just why people love doing that. Here with us today is Dr. Tom Robinson, Associate Director of Graduate Studies in the School of Communications at BYU. We're so excited to have you here on the program. Thank you. Welcome. So just right off the bat, I want to ask you, if you had to choose your favorite scary movie of all time, which I know you're really big into horror movies, so it it might be difficult to classify it when there are so many different genres uh, and sub-genres, but what would you say is one of your favorite scary movies? Well, I would have to say there's probably two, and I'm a child of the 70s and 80s, so um, Nightmare on Elm Street Mm. and Friday the 13th are my two all-time favorite scary movies. So, you know, that's interesting because uh, we've been doing the 12 Days of Halloween movies here on the Matt Townsend Show, and the one that I shared yesterday was the 1978 version of the film Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So I think any movie like that and Nightmare on Elm Street where they play on our fears of of falling asleep and people, you know, anybody that has a sleep problem is going to find those movies incredibly scary. And that's what made Freddy so scary was that there was nothing you could do to get away from him. Because as soon as you fell asleep, he came into your dreams, and that's where he attacked you. Right. And in certain movies like Jaws, which is another one of my picks, just don't go in the water. Right. Right. Um, And then another pick that I had for for earlier in the week was the movie Tremors. And that one's a little different from Jaws in that you can't you can't not walk on the ground, right? And these <laughs> these underground monsters just come up and snatch you. So, but yeah, you have to go to sleep. Right. Wow. So you're in here because you, you've done some research on why we enjoy watching scary movies. That's right. Okay. So what can you tell us about this study that you've conducted? Well, I probably have to give you a little background history, and that is okay. why did I end up doing this? And uh, I was at a <laughs> pop culture conference, and I was writing down topics that I was interested in in pop culture. And one of the things I wrote was horror movies. And as I looked at that, I thought, 
why in the world do I like horror movies? Because horror movies scare me to death. Yeah. I'm one of these guys that when I watch a horror movie, I get so scared I have to like sneak my hand in the room and turn the light on. And <laughs> I have to make sure I cuddle up close to my wife at night and I'm afraid to walk through my own house. But when the next one comes on, I go and I watch it. Yeah. And I, and I, so I couldn't figure this out. I thought, why are people like that? Why do we keep going back to this thing that causes us so much anxiety and so much pain? And so that's where the idea started. And so I, I have a very unique methodology called Q methodology that allows us to study people's um, opinions, attitudes, and behaviors. And so I said, well, I'm going to find out. I'm going to talk to horror movie fans and find out why they like them. And so that's where this came from, and that's what this study actually did. And I found three very interesting groups within that group of horror movie fans. Okay, so what, what are those three different groups? Um, there are the um, adrenaline junkies, there are the detectives, and then there are the white knucklers. Hmm. So that's, those are the names that I gave them. Okay. Uh, so kind of break each group down and talk a little bit more about each one of those okay. groups for us. Yeah, the, the adrenaline junkies are the ones that we expected. They are all the past research and horror movies said that, and they called them thrill seekers. So these are the people that like to jump out of airplanes and they do... Uh, motorcycle riding, and they do anything that they can get a an extreme charge um, out of in their lives. So they, sure. So horror movies just kind of fits right into that. So they go to the horror movies, they get all excited and scared, and uh, and so it just is a thrill to them. Now, an interesting thing about these people is they aren't scared by the movies. They don't carry the movies with them when they leave. They have no uh, emotional attachment to the characters or the victims. Hmm. Um, and so they just go for the the charge. Then the the second group were the detectives, and this was a very interesting group because we didn't expect to find this group. This is the group that looks at a horror movie like a puzzle, or they're trying to figure it out. So their whole motivation for going to the the movie theater is to sit and watch and figure out who's the villain, who's the one person that's going to survive. You know, how is the next person going to die or be killed or whatever situation they're in? And so they sit and figure it out. And they love the story. Sure. And as as simple as the story in horror movies are, they, they go for the story. They aren't emotionally attached to anything. Again, they don't get scared. But if there's not a good story, they get um, they get they lose interest in the in the show. Right. And so they don't get a big charge like the thrill seekers or the adrenaline junkies, but they're there for a very specific reason. And as I, I did this research, I thought, okay, neither one of those is me. Where do I fit in? And then I, right. all of a sudden this next group appeared and we called them the white knucklers. And those are the people that I fit into that group. And I called them white knucklers because that's kind of how I am. When I go see a horror movie, I grab the armrest and I start squeezing them and I get nervous and scared so this is a group of people that love horror movies, but they get scared. They have nightmares. They hear things in the dark. They have to sleep with the lights on. And sure enough, they go back to the theater time and time again. And I think it's because the, my, my results or my, my findings on this was that they love that charge that they get, that, that huge rush, a rush of adrenaline that comes into their body and their lives for that, that moment. And they're, and I will say we, we're willing to risk all of the bad things that happen after 
for that one shot of adrenaline, that one time of emotional excitement that we get from watching a horror movie. Wow. And so that's, that's where I fit in. So you're in the third group, the, the White Knucklers. I'm probably a mixture of the second and third groups. I've never been somebody that has had any desire at all to jump out of an airplane. And it was, I was probably in my late teens before I would even go on some of the bigger roller coasters at amusement parks. So I think this has always been uh, my outlet to, to have that kind of release or to, to experience right. that kind of um, emotional, you know, roller coaster. And I, I grew up watching some of these scarier movies. I'm actually, when I think back on some of the movies that my parents allowed me to watch, I was kind of surprised. Um, but yeah, I, as a kid, I could always, I could always figure out when I was going to have nightmares because if I watched the movie Jaws during the day, I would be fine. Oh, yes. But if I watched it at night, I would always have nightmares. Um, so, Talk to us a little bit more about uh, – because obviously people that love watching scary movies must love to laugh as well. (laughs) Because what is our initial reaction after we're scared or at least in public when we go out and see a movie in public? The emotional release is to laugh or to scream and to make sure that you're releasing it someplace. And there's a lot of research that shows there's a huge difference from watching it in the theater as opposed to watching it uh, at home. Yeah, at home you feel absolutely. more safe, you feel more protected. But when you're in the theater and it's all black, and you're surrounded by strangers, and they're reacting, then you react in a similar way. Yeah, and it makes it a lot more scary. You know, and unfortunately, I don't get to have that theater experience or even even a good home experience because my wife is not a fan of scary movies. She'll watch Alfred Hitchcock movies, which are amazing, by the way. Um, <laughs> But if I'm watching it at home, it's so fragmented because I'll only have 20 minutes at a time to watch it. And so I don't get the full experience to where I the suspense builds and I get to watch things develop. And, you know, maybe by the time I get back to the movie, I've kind of forgotten what I've been watching already, you know. And, and my wife is the same way. She hates horror movies. And as soon as the music comes on, she shoots in the other room <laughs> and she doesn't want to be anywhere near it. So I end up watching alone. Yeah. In, in my house. So I'm sitting there like all alone and I'm quite sure there are people, other people in the room with me while I'm watching it because it's so, you know, it gets so scary. Yeah. Well, let's do this. Let's take a, a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion with Tom Robinson, who's been telling us a little bit more about why we enjoy or why we watch scary movies. And uh, think about it, folks. If you do enjoy watching scary movies, which category do you fall into? We'll take a quick break. When we come back, Uh, This is the Matt Townsend Show, uh, helping you live hopefully healthier, healthier, happier, and maybe even scarier lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt while he's away. And I am I feel incredibly lucky to be doing so because today on the program we have Tom Robinson, who is Associate Director for Graduate Studies in the School of Communications at BYU. He teaches advertising and specializes in account planning, advertising principles, and advertising strategy and research. 
He holds a Ph.D. in mass communications from the University of Southern Mississippi, an M.A. in uh, communications for the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and a B.S. in marketing from Northern Arizona University. Thank you so much for joining us on the program this morning. You're welcome. Nice to be here. So we we were talking scary movies even during the break. You are clearly a lover of scary movies. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned earlier in the program what a couple of your favorite scary movies were. Um, as far as scary movies go, is there anything that you've noticed that people do to sort of distract themselves while they're watching a scary movie? Because... You know, we know that people want to be scared, but maybe they're not fully committed to wanting to be scared. What are some things that you notice that people do to help get rid of some of that feeling that they may not like? Well, the, uh, the one of the things that comes to mind is that uh, when, you know, when you were younger and you'd go on a date, you'd always want to take your date to a horror movie because you know that she would grab a hold of you and she sure. would hold you close. So that's one of the things is that you grip on anything that's close. And hold on tight because that's going to help to protect you. Um, the other thing that's interesting, you go to the theater and the looking away or covering your eyes mm. is the other one that – and it, no matter how hard you try, you still know what's going on on the screen. So a lot of people that aren't really committed to horror movies will will cover their eyes or look away. Um, I also get to that point because I'm, I get scared by these movies is that, that I will close my eyes and kind of wish that it would just kind of go quickly – so there are a lot of defensive mechanisms <laughs> that we use as humans to to try to ease the pain of what we're watching. And again, to me, the most interesting thing about that whole thing is we're we're trying to ease the pain, but yet the next one happens, the next one comes on, and we go back and see it. We go back and put ourselves in that in that situation one more time. Sure. You know, it's it's like a a train wreck. Yes. You, <laughs> You don't want to watch, but you also have to, you know. And, yeah, even from a very early age, I remember covering my eyes. But what do you do once you cover your eyes? You always leave a little crack. So oh, you yeah. can, you can it, maybe if you just see just a little bit of it, then it won't be as scary. And it'll ease the pain. Which is a ridiculous theory. <laughs> um, you know, another good thing that you could consider is popcorn. Oh, You know, yes. have some food to distract you, some popcorn, some candy, some soda. And, uh, yeah, and if you drink enough soda, maybe you have to go to the bathroom enough that you have that to <laughs> well, focus no, on. No, you do not want to get up and walk out by yourself. That's the <laughs> worst thing that you could do. You may never come back. <laughs> you may never come back. Yeah. So it's interesting because you talked – you brought up the point of men liking to take women to scary movies in the hopes that uh, that the women will grab onto their arms and that they can have that physical contact. In your studies, have you noticed are men – uh, do they like watching scary movies more than women? Great question. And that's what all the past research told us as we went into this study, that men are were the adrenaline junkies. They were the, the, the guys that loved horror movies, and horror movies were made for men. And so we anticipated not finding very many women at all that liked horror movies. And when we started this study, we found half of our subjects were women. And so half of the adrenaline junkies are women, half the detectives were women, and half of the, the white knucklers were women. So they are involved with and enjoying horror movies exactly at the same level that men are. And so it was very interesting to see that there's this whole group of horror movie fans that maybe the horror movie industry isn't really 
doesn't really know exists, or at least they're not marketing to them. You know, that's a really, really interesting point because it seems like over the last decade, maybe decade and a half, there has been uh, there have been more movies put out that feature a a female as the heroine of oh, the story. Well, if you go back and think about it, most all of them. Yeah. Have, a, have a female heroine. So are they, I mean, are they trying to market more towards women by empowering women more? Well, that's an interesting question and probably one that I need to do a little more research on. But um, I think that is one of the tactics of attracting men uh, to the theater, to the shows. Also, there are a lot of research about the the abuse of women and putting them in these situations. However, all of the guys always get killed off right away. And so the women end up being the strong one that are able to handle the situation that exists uh, with the with the villain or the the monster. Yeah. So if you if you if you want evidence that women are indeed smarter than men, just watch pretty much any scary movie <laughs> that's, that's right. out there. And I think yeah. it, I think it, once you start watching it, you can identify who the strong woman is and which one will survive. Right. You bring up a good point, though. If if you really think about it, it's it has always been that way. I mean, you go back as far as even the movie Halloween, right, with Jamie Lee Curtis, well, who uh, Friday the Thirteenth, right, a woman, yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis, who, by the way, was kind of known as the Scream Queen right. for all those roles that she had. Interesting. Yeah, and it, you still see it today and you know, you have all of the Scream movies where Nev Campbell is the, the right. heroine of that. And there was a movie that came out not too long ago called You're Next, where it's a home invasion story. Right. And there's this person in in the home that uh, maybe the killers weren't counting on being in the home that kind of turns the tables on them a little bit. Right. So, wow, that's really interesting. Well, and The Grudge and right. The Ring yeah. all had heroines. Interesting. So another another topic I wanted to cover with you is kind of its own subgenre of horror, uh, which is these movies where... We we pay money to go watch people get tortured and have the most oh. horrible, horrific things happen to them. <laughs> and there are so many of these movies now. It's so prevalent in movies today that there's there's the term torture porn now. Yeah, right. Why do you think people enjoy going to see other people getting mutilated? <laughs> wow, a great question. Very interesting question. And the easy answer is I have no idea. But again, there is this charge of seeing something that is so different than what you would experience in real life. You watch these and you you think, okay, there's no way this could ever happen. There's no way that I would ever see anything like this. But, you know, Hollywood is upping the ante uh, on how far they're going to go with this and how much we're going to see. And there are some really disturbing things out there that are being shown that are super scary and super creepy and like way over the top. But people keep going in there. And it, a lot of it has to do with that that huge rush of adrenaline uh, that they get while they're watching these movies, even as, as grotesque as they are and as repulsed as people in the audience are, they still, they still, I think are sacrificing those feelings for the, for the, the shot of adrenaline that they're getting. Right. Oh, my goodness. So what does that say about us? <laughs> what does that say about I, us? I mean, and what something that we haven't covered yet is what kind of an impact do these movies have on us? When, and 
I I asked that question to myself, and that is what you know. Again, why do I like these? Why do I keep putting the putting myself in these situations? And is there something wrong with me? And it's just a form of entertainment. I remind myself that it's all pretend, that there's nothing real about it. There's nothing different about it than watching Star Wars or watching other uh, violent movies or watching other types of movies where things are disturbing. It's You know it's not real. I mean, deep down inside, you know this isn't real. It's not really happening. Right. Um, and I'm not disturbed because I like it. Now, it's like violence, and there are tons of violent studies out there that continued watching of violence will make a person be more aggressive. And I suppose that for some people, that's true. Hmm. But in my opinion, for most people, that's not true. Right. And I would say the same thing with horror movies. People that go see horror movies are normal, everyday people who just like that charge. And they don't become more violent. They don't become more sadistic in any way. And it's they see it just as a form of entertainment. And although it creeps you out on the inside and emotionally disturbs you for several days, it doesn't make you more aggressive or more violent. I am certainly not a violent person. Sure. Um, even though I do enjoy and, and like and watch uh, watch these movies. So this is kind of a, a, a the other side of the argument that you just uh, put forward about, you know, yeah, there may be there may be some instances where people who have gone into a movie theater or who have killed people in other locations, maybe their favorite movie was such and such a movie. Oh, right. But yeah, not everybody who's watching these movies is going to go out and commit these horrible things that they're seeing on the screen. However, what I wanted to bring up was um is it harm is it does it have a harmful effect on people in the sense that maybe it doesn't cause us to go act these things out? But when some of these more realistic things do occur in real life, does that make us less equipped to handle them emotionally? Are we uh, are we too uh, emotionally distant from an event with tragedy in general when that happens? Right. I'm, I'm certainly not a psychiatrist or psychologist <laughs> or, or I don't uh, teach in the psychology department. Um, I'm purely the media guy and I can only – answer that from myself. And does it desensitize people? Absolutely. But to what level? I don't know. There are other experts out there that would know that. Um, I know that if I saw a, a real person die, it would have a much deeper effect on me than anything that I see in a movie. Again, reminding myself that it's not real. It is pretend. Yeah. Um, and that if I saw something in real life, that would be truly uh, horrifying. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned how Hollywood just keeps escalating and upping the ante of the the horror that's in these movies and the gore. Um, movies that are put out today are the types of movies that would have been rated X. Oh, they could have. Back in the day, you know? And also think about what's what kind of movies are being released today. The paranormal uh, movies have become hugely popular right now. And there's really nobody that gets grotesquely killed in those movies. Um, it's really a lot about what's creeping around the night, what's, you know, what kind of ghosts lie in our houses. Yeah. Uh, and those right now are the most popular movies that we see, at, the, at least in horror genre, that we see right now. And uh, the paranormal group of people have made millions and millions of dollars 
Yeah. Uh, and those movies are truly scary. Um, I just watched one of them the other night and actually had these, like, I could feel, like, the chills and the my body firing off because it was so creepy. <laughs> um, so they, you know, there are a lot, they're looking at a lot of different ways to scare us. And I think a lot of that goes back to somebody like Alfred Hitchcock who didn't really show, but they implied that it was happening. And we see a lot of directors going back to that and showing that in their in their directing and in their producing. Yeah. And you brought up a good point, too, how right now people are really into these paranormal activity movies or just anything having to do with the paranormal. It seems like if you take a look at history, thing uh, these scary movies have kind of been shaped around fears that were prevalent at the time. Like way back as far as uh, the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you know, because that film is, is known to have a very... Uh, very clear connection to McCarthyism and our fears of, oh, this this guy could be a communist instead right. of this guy could be an alien, you right. know? Oh, yes. And I wonder if we'll see more and more, if we'll continue to see that as we keep having these fads or these things that happen in the news. Like right now, people are really afraid of clowns because oh, yeah. they, they keep saying they, they see all these clowns in the woods holding a knife or, you know, in front of their car. And by the way, Terry, our producer, thinks it's just a bunch of fluff. That, oh, uh, it's, yeah. yeah. But I wonder if we're going to continue seeing that where there's a correlation between the, the movies that are being put out and the fears that are prevalent at the time. Oh, I'm quite sure that that yeah. will be the case. So don't be surprised if you see a bunch of crazy clown movies <laughs> coming out right now. Speaking of crazy clowns, did you have you seen the movie It? Of course. One of the, the classics. And it's being remade, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, just in closing, I want to get a few more picks from you. Uh, you mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th, which are kind of in the same genre of horror. Uh, just And the, th- the great thing about those movies is I think there can be a little bit more of a disconnect because those are things that could never happen, right? right. You're never going to have an indestructible monster that, is, that keeps coming after you. And you're never going to have somebody that can kill you in your sleep. So maybe what are some other uh, of your favorite horror movies or scary movies? Well, these, these paranormal activity movies are really frightening. And uh, I really do enjoy watching them. Um, and so th- that's uh, some of the ones that I'm really into right now. I have this huge fear of like somebody looking into my window. Uh, and so I'm always afraid of any movie that has a character that's like lurking around outside that you can see them. Yeah. Uh, that, those are always scary. I will have to say, by the way, that my most favorite classic movie uh, monster is still Frankenstein. Really? And I love, I still love that character and I love that, that monster. So the James Whale uh, Frankenstein film then? Yes, yeah, back from the yeah. 1930s. Yeah. Did you know today is Frankenstein Day? No, I did not. Yes. That's um, exciting. Young Frankenstein is another one of my favorite oh, Frankenstein movie. movies. It is interesting you brought up, you know, people lurking outside your window because, again, it brings up the point of we want to feel safe in our homes. Right. Uh, we want to feel safe in our relationships. And yet 
They keep making movies about home invasion, and people keep going to see them. It's greatest fear. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, channels on TV like Lifetime, that's supposed to be a channel for women. (laughs) Jim Gaffigan has this whole routine on it, you know, like Lifetime, television for women. And yet there's always some woman being beaten by a rod, you know. Or being stalked, yeah. Yeah. And it's... It's very interesting the the way that uh, we flock to these things that terrify us and, and strip us of, of our comfort zone. Tom Robinson, thank you so much you're for welcome. being on the program this morning. We've had a lot of fun with you. If you're out there listening and you enjoy watching scary movies, maybe you'll under, uh, understand a little bit more why that is. And if you don't like scary movies, just adopt what Professor Robinson has suggested here. And just remember, they're just movies it's a fun experience that you, you'll get through it, and uh, maybe you'll get through it a little easier if you watch it with your spouse or significant other. But uh, do go out and watch a scary movie, even if it's a family-friendly one. We've given you a few options here with our 12 Days of Halloween movies. Have a spooky and, and safe Halloween. We'll come back and wrap up the show uh, this next hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live happier, healthier, and maybe even scarier lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Program. That was just such a fun interview. Uh, Man, I love scary movies. Don't get to watch them very much because my wife, bless her heart, doesn't like to watch him. But she does like Alfred Hitchcock, so maybe we'll go check out one of those. Here's a quick story that I wanted to share with you, kind of along the lines of what we were talking about. On October 31st, two people will be allowed to sleep in velvet-trimmed coffins in the seclusion of the Count's Crypt and will spend the rest of the night in the Carpathian's Castle completely alone, says Vacation Rental Marketplace Airbnb. This is Dracula's Castle, by the way. The company launched a promotional contest via Airbnb on Monday uh, to pick the castle's first ever overnight guests since Romania's post-World War II communist regime expelled the owners, the Habsburg royal family, almost 70 years ago. Wow. So it's been a long time since anybody has stayed in this castle, and uh, those two lucky people are going to get a chance to do just that. In 2006, a democratic government that replaced the fallen communists restored the 14th century uh, brand fortress known as Dracula's Castle to Habsburg descendants. Situated in the wooden foothill, wooded foothills of the Carpathian Mountains, it is now a museum and major tourist attraction in European Union member Romania. The castle was never part of Bram Stoker's novel Dracula, although Romania's notorious 15th century ruler Vlad Tepes, Vlad the Impaler, whose life inspired the book, may have set foot there briefly. Ooh, would you spend the night in the castle that presumably uh, was the inspiration for Dracula? Not a chance. Not a chance. Really? Wow. I'm I'm a scaredy cat, though. I think it'd be fun. I think it would be so much fun. Um, and you'd be sleeping in Dracula's coffin. So it's not like he would have any place to sleep. So he's he's not going to be there, right? By the way, uh, that is a very scary novel. So if you haven't read that, that's a good one to check out. Uh, speaking of – well, <laughs> this is not a good segue. It's not speaking of scary. But we like to every Friday do what we call wrapping the news and uh, – 
Today is no different. So we're going to turn it over to two of our senior correspondents who are going to wrap the news for us here at the top of the hour. Ain't ready for this. Yeah. October 2016. Yeah. Yo. Woo. A Georgia boy woke from a coma, surprisingly able to speak fluent Spanish. Doctors can't explain it. There's no rhyme or reason. The poor boy woke up too early to miss this election season. Word. Russia offers to monitor U.S. elections. (laughs) Well, if we needed the help, that's just who we'd be picking. Maybe we should also give them the nuclear codes, the keys to the treasury, and the colonel's secret recipe for finger-licking chicken. Hold up. Yo. This year's top Halloween costumes have villains, Harley Quinn, and the Joker top in the list. Whatever happened to heroes like Uncle Sam or Rosie the Riveter pumping her fist? Yo. Yeah. The Cubs and the Indians each celebrate a World Series birth. Those teams haven't been this good since dinosaurs roamed the earth. We the best. Peace. <laughs> Play ball. Yeah. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back. This is the third and final hour of the Matt Townsend Show here on Friday, October 28th. Dr. Matt is away in Costa Rica, but... Do not fear, he will be back on Monday to give us his perspective of of all these crazy stories that are going on so he won't miss Halloween. So speaking of not fearing, don't be afraid, but today is Frankenstein Day. Even though I think it should be called Dr. Frankenstein Day or Frankenstein's Monster Day. Frankenstein Friday celebrates the birth of Frankenstein and its creator. Frankenstein is one of the best-known horror characters dating back to the 1800s. We can't imagine the Halloween season without the presence of of Frankenstein lurking somewhere in the darkness. Frankenstein was born in 1818 when Mary Shelley, at the age of 21, wrote the story Frankenstein. Can you imagine... You, I, I don't want to say that she peaked at 21, but can you imagine at 21 writing a piece of literature like that that would have an impact on on people for generations to come? No, because now Twitter, things you put on a Twitter, it lasts for like a day, right? That's the life cycle anymore. <laughs> That's a good point. So maybe the written word had a, had a bigger impact back then, or at least in, in novel form. Man, 21 years old and she cranked out Frankenstein. Oh, man. What have I done with my life? I better get cracking on some of these projects that I'm working on. Anyway, it's also National Chocolate Day, and that's very fitting because either uh, you or your children are going to be having quite a bit of chocolate, especially on Monday night. That's, that's one of the great perks of being a parent is that you don't have to do the actual trick-or-treating but you can still reap the benefits of trick-or-treating by, you know, taking a few at a time of uh, the candies out of your kid's pumpkin or pillowcase or whatever they use to as a receptacle for the candy. I uh, can tell you right now, I am planning on confiscating the Butterfingers 
and the Kit Kats, and probably <laughs> what was that? Excellent. Yes, probably the Reese's peanut butter cups too. Reed, what is your candy of choice this Halloween? Um, I'm a uh, almond joy, almond joy kind of guy, and also the Mr. Good bars. So, Mr. Goodbar. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Wow. That should be your new good name. Or your new name is Mr. Goodbar. I'm Mr. Goodbar. Yeah. Terry, what about you? You're a pretty fit guy. I don't imagine you eat a ton of candy. Not really, but you know, if there's caramel involved, I'll, I'll indulge occasionally. Caramello? I guarantee you, you're not going to see a caramello in somebody's uh, pumpkin. Probably not. That's a shame. They need to come out with a fun size of Caramello. I still remember the old 90s commercials. Stretch it out, out, out. Caramello. Do you remember that, Reed? Different time. I wasn't even born. Different <laughs> Different time. Anyway, enjoy National Chocolate Day and uh, enjoy those chocolates on Halloween. It's coming up. It's here in just a matter of days. Also, Game 3 of the World Series. You'll want to catch that But first, we want to head on over to Sadie Nielsen, who is minutes away from taking a pretty big test. We wish her luck, and we hope she catches some Zs after she gets an A on her test. Sadie Nielsen, what's going on around the country? Paleontologists have uncovered countless dinosaur bones, but what they thought... But what they have yet to find is a dinosaur brain, that is, until now. Researchers recently realized what they thought was a run-of-the-mill skull fossil actually might contain a chunk of fossilized dinosaur brain tissue. Scientists think the brain tissue came from a large leaf-eating dinosaur, which roamed the Earth some 130 million years ago. The brain tissue, which looks like a nondescript brown rock at first glance, was found by an amateur fossil hunter in England in 2004. Scientists believe the dinosaur's head fell into a swamp when it died, which prevented the brain tissue from decaying like soft tissue usually does. Pennsylvania's Republican-controlled legislature on Thursday passed a bill blocking public officials from publicly releasing the names of police officers involved in shootings. Supporters of the bill claim it would protect cops and their families, especially amid heightened tensions between law enforcement and local communities. The state's Democratic Governor Tom Wolf has not indicated whether he'll sign or veto the bill. Officers in riot gear fired beanbags and pepper spray at protesters Thursday as they tried to clear them from a camp on private land in the path of Dakota Access Oil Pipeline, the AP reports. A North Dakota State Emergency Services spokesperson said officers were responding to aggressive tactics by protesters, including some throwing rocks at officers and threatening them. More than 20 protesters were arrested and at least one injured. The confrontation marked a major escalation of a protest that has raged for months. And finally, yes, this is a this is a pretty good story. Something that I feel like never happens. A former employee of an Arkansas county is facing numerous charges for allegedly using a government credit card for personal expenses, including a dog tuxedo. Really? Yes. The criminal complaint against Christy Goss, 43, a former administrative assistant to the Garland County Judge Rick Davis, states she used a county credit card for $200,000 worth of personal expenses. Goss allegedly used the card to pay for her bills and make purchases including clothing, a diamond bracelet, nearly $1,000 worth of Arkansas Razorbacks tickets, uh, school lunches, pet insurance, and, of course, a dog tuxedo from Amazon. Wow. Okay, so I'm I'm just concerned that maybe 
nobody told her that that kind of thing, you're not supposed to use your government issued credit card for those types of things. Right. Apparently she just wasn't informed. She just thought she could use that on anything. Let's give her the benefit of a doubt and just say she didn't know. Okay. She didn't know. And, you know, to be honest, I think a lot of animal activists out there would be totally fine with this dog having a dog tuxedo. You know, but like if you're going to use a government issued card, really a dog tuxedo? No, your 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 assumption that maybe she didn't know, <laughs> right? I just I wanted to put a positive spin on the last line of the story I read on this yesterday said that they found so far three thousand seven hundred twenty two transactions on this card. Okay, right? I think she knew. I think she knew. Yeah. You don't do something 3,000 times and go, I'm not sure if I should do this. I think you probably know by then whether it's right or wrong. I don't know. I think somewhere deep down, I I think that she maybe is a little innocent. Maybe. (laughs) All I I hope is that the dog isn't punished and the dog gets to keep the dog tuxedo. Yeah, what did he do? He was the, he Nothing. was the, he was he a was victim the, in he this. He was a victim in the situation. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Can you imagine repossessing the dog tuxedo? No. What are you going to tell that dog? How are you going to break it to the dog? That I'm sorry, Fluffy. Well, it's a dog you say look over there and take it. What's he going to do? <sighs> Squirrel? Squirrel, huh? But as we've talked about on the program before, dogs are people too. Mm. Yes. Dogs have the right to wear a tuxedo just like you and me. Agreed. You know, I'm only okay with the tuxedo if it has a cummerbund. I think it did. Or Is it cummerbund or cummerbund? Something like that. I don't know because nobody wears them anymore. Do you wear one? No. Oh. <laughs> I don't even wear tuxedos he anymore. He may ironically at some point. Yeah. What? What is? What? What do you mean by that? You'll see. Oh, no. Anyway, Sadie, thanks for the fun news. Good luck on your test. Have a great weekend. Oh, and then catch some Z's after you get an A. Bing. Anyway, thank you for that. <sighs> wow. I don't think we're going to top I don't think we're going to top the uh dog tuxedo story, but we can try. I do have one <laughs> that I want to get to. <sighs> you know how before you get married, it's all it's probably a good idea to kind of get on the same page as your wife like let's let's agree on these certain things like how many kids we're going to have and what types of things we're going to allow in our home well One man from Vladivostok, eastern Russia, was so annoyed that his wife wanted to raise their children vegetarian that he called the police on her. According... uh, This is the song that we like to turn to every once in a while called The Vegan Rap. According to the Moscow Times, the husband accused his wife of endangering their kids by forcing them not to eat meat. The man who filed the report claimed that his wife, a vegetarian, is forcing their children to give up meat, which is having a negative impact on their growth and development. As a precaution, social services visited the home and interviewed the children and found them to be in good health. The children didn't complain about their mother and the living conditions appeared to be fine, officials said. Have you ever heard of a story like that before where a dad calls the police on his spouse because he doesn't want them to be vegetarian? No. Man. It's kind of the misuse of uh, the police, really. 
Yeah. I'll probably get more in trouble with that. But they but they probably just shook their head and walked away. The police. But, you know, in Russia, you never know. You never know. Uh, For many different reasons, yes. <clears throat> right. I've watched enough Russia Russian dash cam videos to know that everything goes in Russia. Yep. So any other interesting news that we should I, focus I on? I found this yesterday. The Breakthrough Listen Initiative, which will spend $100 million over the next 10 years to hunt for signals possibly produced by alien civilizations, is set to begin studying Tabby's star, which is a new star that's hmm. – uh, they're going to use a uh, their uh, – satellite or i guess the what they're going to listen to a radio telescope there it's a 303 330 foot wide uh, green bait telescope in west virginia they're going to, they started on october uh, 25th so tuesday they started this project the telescope largest fully steerable radio telescope on the planet and it's the largest most sensitive telescope that's capable of looking at this specific star so the, apparently there's one place and they're going to start looking the reason this star is um is uh, it's part of the if you heard of the SETI project, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Ah, right. Mm-hmm. So if you watch the X Files, which I have, they talk about <laughs> it a lot. Um, so they're going through looking at this. Tabby's star lies about one thousand five hundred light years from Earth, so it's a, it's relatively close. Sure, as space goes. Uh, observations by NASA's Kepler Space Telescope showed that the star dimmed dramatically several times over the past half decade or so. Hmm. When it when a star dims, something's passing in between your vantage point and the star, right? This sounds like another Pluto interview in the making. It Maybe could it's be. Pluto. At one point, a whopping twenty two percent is the the the, 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 the star dimmed by twenty two percent. They're like, oh, something big just passed by. These occasion brightness dips were first reported last year by a team from Yale. So far, they're uh, they're. Too substantial to be caused by an orbiting planet, they said. So here's some different ideas. It could be a cloud of comet fragments. Hmm. Right? So okay. a, a field of uh, debris, rocks and stuff floating around. It might be some unknown structure between space or in the space between Earth and the star. Yes. So then they start looking, what if it's caused by an alien megastructure? What if it's like a huge solar Ooh. panel array that some advanced civilization put out in orbit by their planet, and that's what we're seeing? Or if you've seen Independence Day, it's an alien spaceship. That could be the precursor for an, uh, an invasion, right? We don't know what's going on. So they start talking to the experts, and they go, eh, likely it's not that. It's probably just some rocks floating around. But think about it. If we are to ever discover E.T., an extraterrestrial, it will be something that something bizarre that someone just sort of finds by accident. And then you look at it and on closer inspection, you're like, hey, that's an entire civilization right there. Yeah. Right? But So I think we need to enlist the services of Jeff Goldblum, Will Smith, maybe even Brent Spiner. Will Smith doesn't want to be part of this project. Okay. He's done with space. But Jeff Goldblum is game. Right. He's game okay. for anything. He's... Apparently, he was in that last Independence Day movie. Jeff Goldblum <laughs> will solve any of life's problems. There you go. So there could be an alien megastructure, or it could just be a bunch of rocks. Oh. It's probably rocks. But we're, it will be surprised, is, is what the article There's also said, right? no signals coming off this star or anywhere hmm. near the star, so probably not that. It's a trap! But we could hope. <laughs> we could hope for aliens. Maybe, yeah. Reed, you've got a good point. Maybe it's Star Wars-related. There is a new Star Wars movie coming out, Rogue One. Christmas. Christmas. Uh, are you excited about this, Terry? Sure. To me, I 
I'm having a hard time becoming excited because you hate Star Wars. We understand. I I really enjoy Star Wars. Things that actually. are fun. You don't like things that are fun. <laughs> things that you know be entertaining. You don't that, like that at all. That's me. I'm a fun killer. Okay. Um, I just don't understand the importance of a, a prequel to a movie where we already know the outcome. So basically, this is a movie about them stealing the blueprints you, for you, the. Are you complaining about more Star Wars? No, 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 no. It sounds like you're complaining about more stuff. What Wars. I'm saying is... There's a gift. They're handing you a gift and you're like, I don't know. You know, maybe you're right. Maybe I should be more grateful for this wonderful gift. Thinking about it too much. That just is... let it happen. Okay. Just... Just... There's nobody involved that's going to ruin it. Now there... Uh, George Lucas... He's not involved. Okay, so it can't be ruined if George Lucas it's is gonna, not involved. It's going to be a, an, an interesting story. It's not going to be bad. It's not probably not going to be great. It'll be okay. And you'll be like, that was a great movie because it was fun. And you go home. You know, speaking of Darth Vader, he is supposedly going to have a part in this movie, right? Oh, yeah. So we'll have James Earl Jones resurrecting at least the voice of uh, Darth Vader? Sure. Because he's not dead at this point. Right. Right. He's still very much alive. There's continuity to keep track here. I wonder if he will be less evil. No, he's just as evil. Interesting. Because he mm. is Darth Vader at this point. He might not be as fully exercised in his uh, devious ways, but maybe he'll like test out some new torture techniques or something. That would be a great. That's what he does. It'd so. be a great scene in this movie where he's trying to perfect, the, you know, the chokehold. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't go so well. He's like force choking and drops him. He's like, oh, I'll keep working on that. That'd yeah. be great where he's doing it to his coworkers, and they're like, "Nice try, Darth. <laughs> keep working on that choke move you got there." Anyway. Just some of the fun news and stories that we that you're you're only going to get here on the Matt Townsend Show. When we come back, speaking of movies, we won't be talking more Star Wars, but we will be talking movies. There is a new movie out this weekend with Tom Hanks that we're going to be talking about with Rod Gustafson, our go-to movie guy from ParentPreviews.com. So we'll get to that in just a couple of minutes when we return here on the Matt Townsend Show where we help you live Happier, healthier, and hopefully more cinematic lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson here, uh, covering for Matt while he's away in Costa Rica. He'll be back Monday, though. But luckily, I'm the one that gets to talk to our next guest because it is Friday. And as you know, on Friday, with Friday comes new movies at the theaters. And uh, here with us today on the program is Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com, who's going to be talking to us about the biggest new release of the weekend. Rod, thank you so much for uh, coming on the Matt Townsend Show. Well, that sounds great. I think it's time you're going to have to, you know, change the title of the show here, though, and Matt won't notice. (laughs) You know, that's interesting because a couple of our producers said that Matt and I at times sound very similar. So... Yeah, but we did have somebody call in today asking when Matt was coming back. So they can clearly <laughs> well, distinguish must, between the two of us. I must admit, when I heard your voice, Jeff, I thought, wait a minute. I thought, <laughs> okay, oh, yeah, no, it is a little different. Yeah, yeah. So 
Friday, new movie. What's what's the big new release of the weekend? Well, the big new release this weekend almost certainly is going to be Inferno. And this is a movie that is coming from the same author, Dan Brown, who wrote uh, Angels and Demons and the Da Vinci Code. This is also based on on one of his books. Now, okay, I admit right now I'm a bit of an idiot as to... If if this is another book by itself or whatnot, didn't do my research there because I'm not reading the books. But I can tell you about the movie, and uh, it's it, it's exactly what you would expect. In fact, if you've if you've seen the Da Vinci Code, if you've seen Angels and Demons, you've almost seen Inferno. Right. Now, yeah. did, did you do you remember liking uh, uh, the Da Vinci Code, the first one of these three movies? You know, it's funny. I watched it just a few nights ago. It's on. It's on Netflix. There's a blatant promotion for them, and uh, and yeah, you know, I remembered looking back on that, and it was pretty cool. I thought the premise was pretty neat. I mean, you've got this. Uh, you've got this guy named Robert Langdon, the character that is central to these novels, played by Tom Hanks, of course, and he's he's really this scientific kind of a sleuth. These movies really are historical whodunits, and and you follow Langdon. Langdon is proxy for us as we walk through the story, and and he finds all these clues. And uh, I really did enjoy that in the Da Vinci Code. Not so much. I thought Angels and Demons was a little flawed. Um, and with Inferno, you know, it it, it just seems to be we're we're rolling down the hill. I don't know how you can have so much action in a film. And have so many cool, beautiful locations because it's all shot in Southern Europe. And yet by the time the movie was over, I just didn't care about any of these characters. It mm. seems to be the problem. They, um, there is not much effort at all used to round out these characters so that we have any feelings for them. And, uh, and even our, even our central character, Robert Langdon, he kind of is kind of liking watching somebody doing the dance steps with a little numbered feet on the floor, you know, and you're thinking, <laughs> yeah, okay, well that's going to work and that's going to work. And you know, the guy isn't going to get killed and yeah. Yeah. So it, it's just missing that spark. So this is, I mean, another collaboration between Tom Hanks and Ron Howard. They've worked together so many times. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that it that it wouldn't be that good of a movie with the two of them involved. Well, and I see after after I wrote my review, I thought, you know, I wonder if I'm the only guy feeling this way. And then I went on Rotten Tomatoes yesterday, and this is down around like 30% or something. Wow. It, it was quite low. And as I took a look at at some of the other reviews, they were critical of Ron Howard's directing. And I don't think that's the problem. I think it's the script that is the problem. Um, I think Ron has done a a reasonably good job with the material that he had to work with. But the script, they keep re-explaining things to us and... And Tom Hanks' character is just a a constant verbal ongoing play-by-play of what's going on. And, you know, a good movie, we watch the images and we come to conclusions, but this one really tells us what to think throughout most of the movie. And and it just kind of gets dry after a while. Now, the the one thing, of course, being parent previews, the, the other reason why this movie is just falling below our recommended line is there is a lot of violence in this film. I, I was surprised. It's a pretty violent movie. And so, parents, if you're, if you're considering this one for teens, keep that in mind. Um, the profanities are infrequent. 
which is good. But we still have the usual sexual expletive in this movie as well. So a couple of things there for parents to be aware of as well. Yeah, you know, it kind of seems like Ron Howard is is hitting a little bit of a rough patch. It seems like the last few of his movies have not done so well critically or commercially. I think the last it, one was In the yeah. Heart of the Sea. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And uh and actually I think I like that one more than I than I liked Inferno. Um it, it is. I am surprised, but you know it happens to all of us. I think that creatively uh, even as a film critic, you know, I look at my reviews and I think, oh, it's the same format over and over and over. <laughs> you get into a rut after you do something for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And I think it's really hard creatively to break out of that. And and we've seen that, you know, with a few directors and Ron Howard, as wonderful as he is and a great director as he is, he isn't immune from that. Tom Hanks as well, you know, as he plays his character, he's almost getting so comfortable with the character that he is forgetting to try and infuse some additional personality that is badly, badly needed. Wow. So maybe we could skip this one for the weekend. Uh, are there any others that, that you saw that you want to talk about? Not too much. The big thing, a uh, big heads up on home video is, uh, and I, I've actually have a, a an early release Blu-ray, but we have Star Trek Beyond coming out on Tuesday. So for Star Trek fans, and yes, admittedly, I'm one of them, uh, that, that's something to look forward to. And uh, we also had Alice Through the Looking Glass come out as well just a few days back. So, so there's some home video choices out there, certainly, that you could check out if you want to stay home. Oh, and... Here's a weird one for you. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's out on Blu-ray. It looks spectacular. So for us home theater geeks, if you've got the big screen at home, take a look at that. It's amazing. It's also out on 4K, but I can't afford 4K. But if you can, (laughs) go check it out. Because even on Blu-ray, spectacular movie. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, the Star Trek Beyond movie. Is that a movie that you gave a positive review for? Because that is one that I still haven't gotten around to seeing. Yeah, no, quite like Star Trek Beyond. Um, you know, again, I a little disappointed as far as the um as far as the uh story went because I I still really enjoy the Star Trek films where we have that interplay between between Captain Kirk, so to speak, because this is the reboot, so we're back to Captain Kirk again, and and the antagonist. And I found my big downfall with Star Trek Beyond was I just didn't like the antagonist that much, and he really comes across, you know, the last act of the movie is still kind of uh, the same action film principle and the idea that we're going to, well, I shouldn't give it away. Well, okay, I'll give it away just a little. We're going to save the universe with uh, rock and roll, like, really, guys? But anyhow, B-plus grade on Star Trek Beyond. You know, if you've got teens and you're looking for a fun way to spend the evening and, and again, turn it up loud, and and this is really quite a fun movie to watch. Watch all three in a row. There you go. (laughs) So, Rod, with with Halloween just around the corner, are there any movies that you would recommend that that might be a little more Halloween? Halloween themed? Boy, you know, that is that one is always a hard one. So I'll start with my favorite and everybody will laugh because it's not even really a movie. But the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown is a tradition in our family. <laughs> I make my kids sit down and watch it. There's just there's just something about watching Snoopy rise from the pumpkin patch that just <laughs> gets me every time. So um, and if you've got really little kids, because I think 
Uh, for me, I think it's the little kids that often parents are looking for something, a way to celebrate Halloween. Pooh's Half a Lump movie is a mm. really gentle, sweet little Halloween movie. And for the older gang, uh, the Hotel Transylvania is, I really enjoyed Hotel Transylvania too. I, I I was surprised. It was better than I was expecting. Liked it better than the first one. They're both available on home video. And then, of course, there's Pixar's Monsters University, uh, which is another a fun family movie you can sit down with at Halloween. So there are some, I know, none of those are very scary. If you want real scary movies, well, you know where to find those. But these, these are the nice, gentle, all-ages movies. Well, thanks for sharing those picks. You know, for the past uh, week and a half or so, two weeks, actually, we've been doing the 12 Days of Halloween movies. So we've introduced ah. a new pick every day. And some of the more family-friendly ones that I've shared have been Monster House, which uh-huh. in yes. a way is not really a kid's movie because it is kind of terrifying for for really young kids. Yes. Um, another one we shared was Young Frankenstein, mm-hmm. which is fitting because today is Frankenstein Day. And then uh, the third one, which is a more obscure one, but uh, it's still pretty tame. It's actually more of a black or a dark comedy than it is a horror movie, but it's The Burbs with Tom Hanks. Speaking of Tom Hanks. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That's right. And all those choices, pretty decent choices for the older kids. I find it's what I'll often get from parents is um, the little kids that really enjoy Halloween, the eight and under crowd, and they're thinking, well, what can we do? They go out trick-or-treating at 5, 5.30, and they're done by 6.00. And then what can we do for an hour? And those are the ones that have a hard time finding. My one scary movie that I need to come back to and watch, I've only seen it the one time it released, but a film uh, with Nicole Kidman called The Others. And to me, and that one was, I think, about 10 years ago. It was one of those films that just, and I forget most of the movies I've seen. hate to admit that, but I do. But this one I remembered because it was darn scary without any there was no violence in the movie at all and uh it just worked the story and worked your brain and i was really impressed it, it so there you go but again not for the young crowd that would be a teen pick for me yeah i had to uh it took a while for me to be able to convince my wife to sit down and watch that movie with me yeah it took and some did doing you like it a oh. lot of people haven't even seen it oh it's a fantastic film it's in in some ways, it's very similar to The Sixth Sense, mm-hmm. but there's yes. a very important twist that that differentiates the two. But yeah, you you bring up a good point. It's it's not violent. It's just a creepy, haunting movie, and movies that can scare you like that without resorting to violence or jump scares. They've done they've done a good job. And I'm going totally off memory here. I do not have the review that I wrote many years ago up in front of me. But as far as I remember, there is there is hardly any sexual content and very little profanity as well. I remember it was a surprisingly clean movie in all of our categories. And it had my hair up on end. And it does. It's got a great twist to it. Well, Rod, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the Matt Townsend Show. We we enjoy these Fridays with you because we get to find out what movies we need to see. And, you know, if you're looking for something a little scarier, go home and watch Rod's favorite scary movie, The Other, starring Nicole Kidman. Or if you want to go to the movie theaters and see something that's not as scary, uh, maybe a little more action-packed, then go see Inferno, if you don't mind uh, the critics trashing that movie a little bit. But in either case, have a fun Friday. 
We'll come back here in a minute. We're, we're taking a quick break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, where we help you live happier, healthier, and hopefully more cinematic lives. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. <sighs> when was the last time you just stopped by a drive-thru to grab a burger when you were hungry? I know I want to do that today because Sadie was talking earlier about In-N-Out Burger. Or when was the last time you headed to the grocery store to replace the week's worth of groceries you left to rot in the back of the fridge? We live in a country where food is readily accessible, and we often take that for granted. Americans waste $165 billion in food each year. Wow. So our producer, Leanna Tan, is going to enlighten us on, our, on five of her suggestions on how we can all help fight food waste. I love food. It's my number one language of love. I love smelling it, cooking it, eating it, and giving it. The other day, I was literally playing in and being buried in a massive bin of corn kernels. And my friend brought up the thought that we are bathing in food and throwing it in the air, while other people in the world would have to walk miles and labor hours for a handful of those kernels. I feel love such a luxury where people can pick out their unwanted veggies and throw them into the garbage or leave pizza crusts in the box or let the groceries in our fridge rot because we can just head to the grocery store and get more. But did you know, according to the World Food Program, one in nine people on Earth doesn't have enough food to live a healthy and active lifestyle. Each year, 2.6 million children die as a result of hunger-related causes. wasting food. I hate seeing people dump their leftovers in the garbage or down the drain and just because it's too inconvenient to get a Tupperware dish out. So, to do my part in fighting world hunger and to help you value your precious edible treasures, here are five creative ways to fight food waste. Get a smaller plate when you go out with your friend because you know she isn't going to eat her entire meal. This requires observance and planning skills. You must observe your friend to see how much she typically eats and then be willing to adjust your own portion so you can also finish hers. Plan ahead because you might also have to adjust depending on the restaurant, time of day, and size of your previous meals. So just take the rest home in a doggy bag if you wanna. You can finish it mañana. Take leftovers and give them to homeless people. <laughs> just the other day, I was walking out of my house and there was a homeless man crawling out of my dumpster. And my roommate and I have been searching for him every day since then to offer him a bread bowl. Here, have a dollar. In fact, no, brother man, here, have two. $2 means a snack for me, but it means a big deal to you. But don't give them those nasty, crusty, frosted cookies from the grocery store because those always seem to be what's left over, and there's a reason for that. Don't encourage diabetes. Three. Remember the animals. 
I have literally taken a loaf of moldy bread out of the garbage to take it to the pond to feed the ducks. Only, I think they must have been really full that day because for some reason they didn't seem to like it. But it's a two-in-one benefit. You don't waste food, and you have a fun outing with a friend. Oh, except I just Googled it, and I guess moldy bread can be toxic to ducks. <laughs> so maybe don't do that. Freeze everything. This is one of my favorite tactics and the reason why my roommates glare at me. I freeze everything. Before something expires, I pop it in the freezer and it preserves the shelf life for months. Meat, veggies, fruit, cheese, even bread. Alright, a leftover burrito. Can you say free meal? Free Make sure to have a leftover party to cook up all that frozen stuff so your roommates have enough room in the freezer for their ice cream. Bye. Get to know your neighbors. I'm still I'm young. If you find yourself with a week's worth of wedding leftovers in your fridge, before you dump it in the trash, think about how you can bond with your community over nearly expiring food. Invite them over, talk, laugh, and whip out the leftovers. Don't worry, there will always be a group of desperate college students, no matter where you go. Congratulations, it's a beautiful, healthy food baby. It's so beautiful. I didn't know that I was starving till I tasted food. So, today, when you go to your fridge, remember the 2.6 million dying children. Take a few extra minutes to pull out the Tupperware or to cook up the leftovers. Fight world hunger. Fight food waste. And remember, the only thing you have my permission to throw away are those nasty frosted cookies. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. <laughs> Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Matt is away in beautiful Costa Rica for the remainder of the week, but he shall return on Monday. Until then, you are stuck with Jeff Simpson, and this is Jeff Simpson. We're having a good time, and we're about to have even more fun, more spooky fun, hopefully, as we head on over to BYU Sports Nation, and uh, we'll talk to our good brethren over there who can tell us a little bit about some of the sporting events that are happening this weekend. Hello, gentlemen. How are you doing? Good grief. I'm all worried now because you're playing that super creepy music. (laughs) Speaking of creepy, we've been talking about uh, some of our favorite scary movies here on the program throughout the week. What are some of – do you guys even like watching scary movies? Um, Depends what scary movies. Yeah. I think I told you guys. I like thrilling movies, but not so – like, I don't know. Things like The Ring – it's hmm. a little bit too weird for me. Is that like that's like demonic, right? In a way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't like that type of stuff either. So anything with a creepy or possessed child, you're gonna steer clear of. Not right. co- yeah. yeah, not yeah. not good with that. I'm not good, good yeah, with it. No. Yeah, what's with all the movies with scary kids? I don't know. I love kids. They're so <laughs> sweet and wonderful. Like why are you why do you have to do that? It's because some of those stories are true stories, that's why. And why are they always whispering? I, I see know. dead people. <laughs> see, now that movie did not, not scare that's, me. Yeah, that's not bad. It's that scar- that scary was me when like I was a, little, a psychological but... thriller more than it was like a freaky, scary movie, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I was scared, for, and then I grew up, and then I wasn't scared anymore. 
But whispering is never a good thing in movies. It's always creepy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, it's also Frankenstein Day. Do you like any of the Frankenstein movies? Uh, With Gene Wilder? Uh, yes, you know, young Frankenstein. <laughs> Does I, that count? I like, I like, um, what's the Hotel Transylvania? Is that what, yeah, like, I like Oh, yeah, with there. Adam Sandler as the Dracula, the voice mm-hmm. of the Dracula. Yeah, that's a cool kids movie. Okay. Yeah, we just read by those are the two. types. Those are the types of Halloween movies that we like. Yeah. I never said blah, blah, blah. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about the only thing I can remember from that movie. Yeah. You know, uh, interesting story here. It's it's somewhat sports-related, but uh, there's a chiropractor who's declaring that crawling is the new plank. You know, like crawling around on all fours like a baby. He prescribes it to, to be practical to, uh, to all of his patients to deal with back pain and other ailments, and his unconventional approach to treating pain comes from his belief in original strength, a fitness system that encourages people to practice the movement patterns found in young children. In original strength uh, parlance, crawling is a reset, and by pressing reset on your body, the way you would on your phone, you can bring back the strength and mobility you've lost over the years. Where are his results? I would like to see this. Like, if there's any credence to this whole ideology, let let me see some hard statistical data that this is actually making people stronger, or if this is just some spoof to be different and make a lot of money. You know, you may be onto something there. You know I might I might side with you on that one. You know what? If they don't have a story, they'll make one. Yeah. Drake said that. So. Yeah. Well, just don't be surprised when you walk into BYU practice and maybe they're crawling on all fours. Hey, guys, what's going on? <laughs> don't worry about it. We're going back to our uh, traditional <laughs> core strength training. Core, man. Getting these abs in, bro. <laughs> Get down with us. Uh, Enjoying good, the party. Good stuff. So what's coming up on the program in just a few minutes here? Holy cow. I don't know if we have enough time to get all of this in, but let's try, shall we? BYU we shall. football has decided to move past the Big 12 mentally by loading up their independent schedules. They have wasted little time making announcements and moving forward. Four Power 5 games have been announced this week, two against Minnesota, two against Utah. And so we are asking fans today, what's the one thing you want to see on future BYU football schedules? Hmm. If it's not a Big 12 conference slate, which it's not going to be, and that's a whole other discussion. They're a hot mess, dumpster fire burning, you know, uh, intensely right now in Big 12 country. Um, then what do you want to see? What do you want to see from Tom Homo, the athletic director, in his future scheduling endeavors? I think I'm okay with anything as long as there are more Hail Marys and nail-biting results. I think that's what everybody wants to see. An entertaining product? I can tell you that's what ESPN wants. Yeah, that's yeah. That's, that's definitely what ESPN wants. We want Ws. Wins, For sure. You know, that's that's what I care about. I mean, that helps, too, when you have exciting games and you can get the Ws. That's always a plus. But <laughs> Yes, winning Ws. makes everything better. Everything. <laughs> Everything. It's a three-guest day as well. We've got Butch Pau, who is BYU's star middle linebacker. He's been dealing with an injury. Pau. He is in Studio B to discuss what's the best part of the bye week. And I don't know if you saw this, BYU football had an ode to Michael Jackson's thriller yesterday. Really? That they put out. Yes, you need to go to their Twitter account right now and watch it. Really funny. Okay, so it's on the Twitter page. 
It is on BYU Football's home Twitter account. Also, college basketball stats guru Ken Pomeroy, and it's the match of the year tonight for BYU women's volleyball. The conference title, for all intents and purposes, is on the line when the 16th-ranked Cougars host number 5 San Diego. BYU's won 42 straight conference matches at home. That's going to be put to the test and then some tonight. Ooh, what a great tease. There you know, you and especially in a week where there's no BYU football, it sounds like there's plenty of other uh, sports going on out there that could be nail biters. Yeah, you know what's funny about that? I'm like, oh, it's a football bye week, so I, I probably get some time off. It's, it's going to be a little bit uh, relaxed. <laughs> nope, Cougar tip off Wednesday night, volleyball Friday night, basketball Saturday night. And we still got BYU Sports Nation every day. We love it, man. This is a good time of year. Well, you know, there's no rest for the wicked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this time of year. I, I'm not saying you're wicked, but uh, and then of course there's the uh, game three of the World Series tonight. Mm, yep. That. Nope. Yep. Mm-hmm. The Cubbies got to find a way to win. I know they got their first World Series win in 71 years in Cleveland, but now it's time to win at Wrigley Field. Who do you want to win? I want the Chicago Cubs to win. Boy. End the streak, man. 108 years. What about other teams? Cleveland already enjoyed enough success this year with the Cavaliers. It's the karma, bro. It's coming, it comes back to you. It comes back. You get it, you get it in <laughs> different ways. You, sometimes you get it in abundance. Sometimes you get spread it out. They just happen to get it in abundance. So leave them alone, man. God God chooses who he wants to bless. And, <laughs> you know, See, so stuff. God doesn't care about the Chicago Cubs? I didn't say that. You, just, you said that. Don't <laughs> put words in my mouth, Spencer. I love not, that this. I'm, I'm not sitting on the. I'm not sitting on the heavenly throne. Um, clouds. This is what you have to look forward to in about five minutes. Um, I love that it's. Of, it's a very you know, non-confrontational kind of series too, because either way, a team that hasn't won in a long time is going to win. Yes, it's intriguing that way for sure. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I'd like to see the Cubs win because I'm tired of hearing about the curse of the Billy Goat. Let's just end that one. He's just saying that because, uh, you know, Dave McCann. I would, that's why I would. No. I would. I, Dave, hey, Dave, Dave is our boy. So Do you know how loves... much that franchise has been through? For Steve Bartman's sake, I want the Cubs to win so people can let that one go. Um, you know how many other franchises have went through things i mean you know yeah not why like the just, cubs brian why not you like know, the cubs let the best the great debate the is best, on the, the great team, debate is on let the best team win i, I wasn't sports. i wasn't expecting that this was going to be such a heated topic sports, for the two of you sports 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 sports. well anyway thanks for sharing what's going to be on your program here in the next few minutes and thanks for all you do and uh, i'm sorry you don't get a rest but just hang in there oh goodness no. we love our jobs it's, it's okay all, yeah, it's, all right all save me some candy Ooh, yes, Kit Kat. Happy no, no chocolate, Everybody be no chocolate. Safe. Just fruity, the fruity stuff. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, thanks. We'll talk to you later. You got Thank it. Thank you. Ah, yeah, I didn't know that they cared that much about the Chicago Cubs. Interesting. Scary. Scary. It was a little scary there. Speaking of scary, one thing we haven't done yet today is I haven't given you my 11th pick of the 12 days of Halloween movies, and this is a good one. This is not one of the more horrific or gory films that I was talking about earlier with our guest, uh, Tom Robinson, but it is a good uh, suspenseful one nonetheless, and it teaches you a wonderful lesson. If you ever wondered why at the airport they have that announcement that comes up that 
tells you not to take any packages from people that you don't know. You'll want to watch this movie because it's a good example of why you shouldn't do that. This movie starts out just that way. This man is walking down, uh, walking through an airport, and this strange woman comes up to him and hands him a doll. Of all weird things that you could hand somebody at an airport, he hands she hands him a doll. Well, unbeknownst to the man who accepts this doll, uh, with the instructions that this lady's going to get his address and come pick it up later, what he doesn't know is that there is something in this doll that three very shady characters want very badly. And they would be willing to do just about anything to get it. So he drops the doll off at his house. And it turns out that this man who accepts the doll is not the focal point of the movie. The focal point of the movie is his wife, who was played by Audrey Hepburn and who was actually nominated for an Oscar for this movie, Wait Until Dark. Oh, and by the way, Audrey Hepburn's character in this movie is blind. So when these three characters come to collect this doll that has something in it that they want very badly, three men, three men with very different agendas, by the way, uh, or that want it for different reasons, uh, she doesn't know who they are, obviously, and they present themselves as people that know her husband and they're good friends of him. So just imagine the heroine of the movie trying to defend herself against these three bad guys, and she's blind. Hence, you have the title, Wait Until Dark, and you have a very suspenseful movie. Oh, go check it out. It's a classic. And, you know, it's pretty clean. It's not It's not gory. It's not horrific. And if you want to see Alan Arkin, who is normally known for doing comedies in a creepy role. You won't want to miss it. And again, as I said, it's Audrey Hepburn in an Oscar-nominated role. (sighs) I gotta go watch it. Anyway, as you know, we like to end the program with our hero story of the day. And today is a good one as well. After a police officer in California was killed in the line of duty, his colleagues did something extraordinarily touching for his eight-year-old daughter, Vanessa. They showed up on Monday morning to take her to school. Vanessa no longer has her daddy, Sergeant William Hutchison told CNN. We want to make sure she has a support system growing up. Officer Jose Gil Vega, 63, had been an officer at the Palm Springs Police Department for 30 years. He was killed alongside Officer Leslie uh, Zarebny, 27, earlier this month. It was important to the police department Vanessa felt loved. After tossing around several ideas from barbecues to fundraisers, it was decided... Let's get a bunch of cops together and take her to school, Hutchinson Hutchinson said, and they did just that. Vanessa marched into school with a blue bag on her pack and an army of blue at her heels. It went from a somber to a very touching moment, Hutchinson said. At a memorial held for her father last week, a very composed Vanessa spoke. Don't worry, we have each other, she said. We won't leave each other. And it's clear they won't. So, what a great way to end this show. As I said, uh, it's been a, a lot of fun hosting the show while Matt is away, and he will be back on Monday. Do not despair. Have a great Halloween weekend. And uh, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live healthier, happier lives. 